Yeah, and I, I can just you know share some frustration from from today as well. And, and we had this this meeting, which is uh, really awesome. It's coordinated by this Jeanette from Rice, and we're trying to see you know what Europe is doing in HPC. And it's kind of disturbing to see you know what the focus is and what the money is and how much money the EU is going to put into different HPC techniques. You know, in, in general, it's really good because we've spoken about the AI divide a number of times, and that is clear. Yeah, and, and Europe needs to step up data-wise. Yeah. So it's, it's fundamentally good. Yes. But how? And then, you know, it's like the GDPR kind of thing. You know, it's the intentions is awesome. But then the implementation have, you know, some improvements to make. And the same with the HPC uh, investments that's going to happen now. And the big uh, uh, cluster is going to start up in Finland uh, next year. With the super many like uh, NVIDIA and GDX A100 machines. And, um, but then they speak about, you know, HPC, this kind of traditional kind of supercomputer, Cray computers, LERM, MPI kind of techniques. Um, and not really about AI focus. And uh, not even mentioning like the tech giants and the lead they have and the AI divide and things like that. So, you know, for one, it's a bit frustrating for me. So I'm trying to relax a bit now, have a beer <laughs> and have a discussion with, with you guys, which is so much more fun. Um, um, but still, you know, uh, frustrating t- to see, you know, what Europe is, is and, and spending, what, wasting money on. And what's your frustration way. on this bottom well, line? Yeah, I mean, as I said, I think, you know, the idea and the intention is great, but then the implementation and what you see, what we're starting to see in some upcoming reports and, uh, and documents and what Europe will f- spend money on, like a uh, neuromorphic computing, you know, mixing analog and digital kind of computers or quantum computers, which, you know, is really fun. It's like GPT-3, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's an awesome philosophical and AGI kind of research work. But it's more but of a 2030 topic than 2020 It's topic. not a practical use for companies today. There's so Yet. many better companies, yeah, better com- or better techniques that, that are of direct use for industry today. And the same with uh, HPC in this case. Okay, um, so so how do we frame the HPC landscape? Because we are talking about data and we have learned that it's called big data. And here we have HPC, high performance mm. computing, which, you know, if I start the journey, don't you mean, you know, the old style mainframes yeah. and Cray computers? Isn't that old school news? What, what, what is HPC I, today? Yeah. It's something that is uh, rather confusing and it's very overlapping and ambiguous. But I think to, it's nice to at least divide it into three different parts. So one is exactly what you said: the old style great supercomputers with you know techniques like Slurm and MPI. So MPI Slurm, and this, this is sort of software how you yeah, run. Yeah, we and run jobs on yeah. and, and things like that. And they are great, you know, for many purposes like simulation for biological uh, things or weather forecasting. And, and where are they airplane. really? Where, where is the great computers of the world used today mainly? Do you know? Uh, what yeah, applications? Yeah, I mean, like it's basically for these kind of things. Weather. Automotive, you know, how to optimize that or airplane or the, yeah. and for, you know, biological, trying to do drug discovery or like yeah, weather, weather or, and things like that. Yes. Or, you know, CERN, Haldron. Yes. The Large Hydron Collider kind of collider things. Stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But in reality, what we're seeing now, you know, it's one task after another get, you know, replaced or transformed from a simulation type of work, like weather forecasting or the um, yeah, protein folding, what is kind of biological, you know, drug discovery kind of things. And there was a major replaced. AI breakthrough yeah. used the other week, by the way. Yeah, I think a month ago or something, Google announced this kind of AlphaFold 2 which can basically revolutionize the whole drug discovery thing yeah. by replacing the old kind of simulation, simulation type approach with a prediction type of approach, 
which is extremely much highly performant, both in terms of runtime, but also in accuracy. And going from like 50% accuracy to like and, close and, to 90. And the sheer compute, how you do it is different. Yeah. yeah. So, so AI and, and transforming these kind of old style um, simulation, simulation jobs. jobs with predictive jobs. We are doing one in, in Peltarion with weather forecasting, for example, that we can beat the weather forecasting performance of SMHI or uh, the European Weather Center that are doing this kind of simulation, but instead, by, by instead using like uh, deep learning techniques to do so. Mm. And it's kind of cool. So here we have now the, the mainframe or Cray computer, if I say it like that. And what's the other two? Yeah, so I think the other can be uh, big data techniques and AI techniques. So big data it basically means that replacing these kind of supercomputers, the big mainframes, with a large number of more like, medium range computers, like CPU, large CPU-based and memory-based computers, but you have many of them. And then you have these the, kind the, of... And this is uh, ultimately, you, you go into uh, the data center of Amazon or, yeah. or and they are amazing, like, Huge, right? Yeah, yeah. What all the big tech giants did, you know, beginning of two thousand forward, and, and using Hadoop and Spark and uh, yeah. DataFlow and so all what the big techniques. data space as we know it. Yeah. But then you have the third, which is AI, and I would argue that you know the hardware is different, the software is different, and the applications are different. Um, but the applications are overlapping more and more. So things that were suitable for simulation, kind of supercomputer stuff, is getting. Yeah, but if you take the third, third, third box now, yeah. what is AI hardware? Yeah, so obviously it's like GPU-based things GPU that we can, and TPU and FPGAs and these kind of specially built ships, you know, application, yeah. the ASICs, the application-specific uh, ships that you so are... So we talk N- N- NVIDIA, we talk the chipset yeah. stuff, is, yeah. which is... The NVIDIA is obviously the leading company. Or parallel processing, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So multi-parallel, but in a single chip, like thousands of cores that you yeah. have in GPUs today and TPUs, instead of the 10 to 20 that you have in CPUs. Yeah. And then different software, of course, the TensorFlow, the PyTorch. And where some of these uh, software converge between the big data space and the GPU space? They're starting to merge a bit. Oh, we so, talked with Robert, who's yeah. uh, Luciani, who's like really on the, you know, at the edge, I think, about exploring how to set up jobs mm. and where you can't do some parallel jobs <laughs> on GPU. And then he moves the li- last bits of the job to mm. the CPU. Mm. Uh, super cool stuff, right? Mm. Yeah. But this is what we're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. So three different you know, areas, they all sometimes are like intermingled into this HPC context. But I think it's important to, to separate like the, the traditional type of HPC with, with big data techniques and yeah. with AI techniques. You used to understand the landscape yeah. and understanding what, do we, what is useful right now. Yeah, exactly. But still, you know, um, it's frustrating to, to read sometimes, but I think it's super good what we're doing in Sweden and, and all the initiatives are happening here. And perhaps we can, you know, in Sweden, then focus on what really does work for industry yeah. and, and take some advantage of all the money that are, is going to be spent from EU mm. also for, you know, these kind of HPC clusters, like in Finland with the Lumi cluster, also for like a Swedish industrial use case and, and use the, the use, you know, what really works. Yeah, but if I'm, if I'm allowed to be a little bit in politically incorrect, I don't yes. know if it is. I, I have already been that saying yeah. EU is not knowing what they're okay, doing. Okay, so yes. so bottom line now, what is happening here? Like with the, we have the great AI divide, hmm. we have the big tech giants, and they are clearly going in one direction. Yeah. And here, EU is actually talking about this 
from a different angle, HPC. I mean, like you, mm. you wouldn't name it HPC no. if you went to Google or to Amazon. No. No. So what's the bottom line? You know, if, if I'm asking you to elaborate. Uh, you want me your, to be politically incorrect as well. You know, what what, what do you think is happening here? Why, why, aren't, why, why are we not on the ball and doing ex- Why are we not, we're not, are we trying to leapfrog? Is it, is it something, you know, mm. what, why are we sort of stuck in, I say stuck now in these ideas. Yeah, I, I'm a bit afraid that, you know, they're speaking about uh, in this kind of new report and, and uh, you know, calls that are being created about creating this European open stack or something. Yeah. And it's basically building a data infrastructure in Europe that's going to be separate from other things in some way. And in some way, I think the intention there is awesome because we have this kind of, uh, you know, great bad kind of dependency to the cloud providers, the top cloud providers in the world today, the Google, the Amazon, the, the Microsoft, and the Chinese, Alibaba, and Baidu, etc. So, and we, there is none in Europe. So we, we kind of need to find the European way, some yeah. way. So, so, so idea, intent, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So perfect, uh, you know, problem that they identified. But then is the solution that the European Commission is going to build something themselves or can to direct that, or should it be from companies or should they incentivize companies to become these kind of tech giants in Europe and in that way have some kind of European alternatives to, to the big tech giants? Um, so, so it's one problem is how we organize the money and invest the money. Yeah. And, and, but the other one here we are looking at is like the sheer investment in tech that we kind yeah. of don't understand why we are I think choose we could, this tech. I think we can compare it to like a normal company like Scania or something. Yeah. And, and they want to increase, increase their data and AI readiness. And then you can think about different ways to do that. Should I invest in quantum computing, Scania? Yes, exactly. So you, ha- you <laughs> actually, have... Actually, Scania could have some use for it. But uh, actually, no, 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 not quantum, but for HPC potential. Yeah. Uh, but it's but interesting, right? Is, is our first choice a quantum computer when yeah. I'm going to sell something new to Scania? Probably mm. not. No. no. So they claim they want to support the industry um, and not only like research. It's a lot of research initiatives, you know, that get a lot of investments, which is, is great, of course, but, but also to have some kind of balanced investments also for industry, I think is important. And then you can't do it in the same way. You need to listen to what the industry wants and needs and then adapt the investments to that. And it seems like they're just t- trying to take what they traditionally have done and put that on, on the industry as well, which is not going to work. But yeah. you said, and, and I'll read it between the line here, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and this is not facts, it's opinion maybe, yeah. it's like we put a lot of money and attention to HPC 10 years ago, and now kind of we can't say that's the wrong choice, so we kind of need to sp- spend more money on the same stuff. Am I, am yeah. I out of line when I, read, I say that? But how much is this? How much is this now? Um, so if you can see, most of the countries are actually saying that they are investing themselves in uh, some kind of AI 2030, mm. right? Yeah. Like you had Macron now speaking two weeks ago, was it? Or one week ago? Something like this. Yeah, speaking about their investment in this area. And how much is this individual country-wise and how much is EU-wise? Yeah. Every country in Europe are saying they're going to be the AI-leading country in Europe. Uh, yes, but uh, then how does that contribute to the AI Eurovision. Yeah. If everything is done I think it's separately. So this is the, the fragmentation problem as I call it sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of small initiatives. Everyone wants to become leading themselves if it's a country or if it's a uh, a company inside a country mm-hmm. or if it's some small, you know, organization or, and they all want to do it separately and that, that exists in Sweden as well and it certainly exists in Europe. It's advantage, right? Yeah. I mean they all have their political agenda and uh, if, if they can't show that, you know, 
they spend all the money to become the best themselves, then they're not basically doing their work in some sense. Mm. And if you think about the people writing these kind of applications, and, and this is a lot of speculation from my side, so you know, keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. But still, um, you, you can know that... Lucky us that it's uh, live-streamed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hard to cut. Unless you have quantum computers, you probably can't cut it yeah. afterwards. Okay. Or, or Kirill, doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, but uh, you know, it, it's written by people that used to work in, in this traditional space, and then, of course, they write it in similar ways. Otherwise, they will discredit themselves in some way, and, and that has its problems. And you know, for, for some of these reports, you can't even see them mentioning the tech giants you know, and the techniques and the cloud providers and the techniques used in these clouds. But then they're going to build this European cloud, which is going to be based on you know nor- neuromorphic and quantum computers <laughs> instead of what, what the industry mm. really needs today. So who wrote that uh, ambition statement? So the report, is, the, is the report public? No, not, no, not really. I, th- there are a lot of reports, so some of them, yes, uh, but some are not. But... Uh, um, but there are a lot of record, reports coming out now in in, in this year uh, with the white paper of if, AI, if, for example. If our listeners want to say, stay on top of the game, mm-hmm. uh, do you have any good ideas of where to find uh, information and read these EU reports or these? I mean, like, uh, for instance, I've been staying on, mm-hmm. on top of the, the, the DIG reports that have been really, yeah. really good. Yes. Mm-hmm. But it's also highlighting the direction for Sweden. If I want to do that on a European level, mm-hmm. uh, do you have any recommendations where to look? You know, in Sweden, we have this AI Sweden initiative that yeah. have you know a lot of traction just in recent years, mm-hmm. two years. Um, I wish they had something similar in Europe that could kind of try to coordinate, you know, what's happening and mm-hmm. and have but some kind of really newsletter exist. and things. You can, you know, does submit. There is so AIT, many of them. Eight. Uh, EIT exists, of course, but EIT is like seven different yes. uh, directions or parts by itself. The whole EU then is divided into. So many different subparts so, so, to, so, to have so, like an overview of that is, is extremely hard. Mm. But can we agree that basically we are just late, and right now we are trying to expedite, mm. but we don't know actually how, and we don't have the experts to write those criteria. No, I, I think that this is basically but we what are, I see it as a problem. I think that this. It but is the, the main problem, Anders, is also I think we are sort of stuck based on some decisions or some expertise that shaped our way of thinking 10 years ago is still showing up as a ghost. Yep. I mean, I, there is a notion of sunk cost, you know, come on. Mm. You can't do investments moving forward looking at, you need to understand this is sunk cost. Now we need to look at what's the best investment base when we stand here. And uh, mm. in between the lines I hear, we are, we are, we are, we are carrying baggage into yeah. our decisions that we maybe don't need. I think in short, you can say it's a, too much politics in these kind of investments oh. being done. Yeah, and okay. I wish more... Is it the same objective. in enterprises? Yeah, it's the same in enterprises. Yeah. You have the middle management the screaming like, no, I know the, how the, to change it, the things. The big enterprises is it used the microcosmos of the same yeah. problems. I think it's surprisingly many analogies. Very analogies. And I believe that this is just... If we're looking at on a positive note, I think that people have at least realized the urgency of acting. Yes. And I believe that is something And this is still the best. Yes. To have urgency and to do stuff. Yes. To to spend money. Put it like it's better than nothing. Some good initiatives will come from it. I mean the Germans have uh, the Germany has their Gaia project, which is their cloud, and they're working with public-private partnerships uh, mm. around that. It's together with Airbus and, uh, you know, EADC and all of these uh, other companies. Comes exactly. Yeah. So, uh, um, and in Finland, probably they will do it in the same way. It's not something that is 
especially this has been done in the public sector for many years. When they mm. cannot accelerate, they will look for public-private partnerships. And I believe this is the next stage. Mm. But we are just confused because we need to act and we don't know how. Mm. And I believe that we need to look at the competence. They should have people like you sitting there and typing those reports instead of, okay, I, yeah. I, I think that you would not like to, to type that report, yeah. but but uh, we, you understand. So I think We do that, a lot of EU yeah. applications and reporting, so yeah. But I hope I, I make myself uh, some kind of uh, sense here because I believe in enterprise is the same thing. You have the middle management screaming to mm. do a change and then the leadership is actually not seeing that because the people on the top are not data literate or AI literate enough to understand what is the true vision of it. Yeah. So I'm going to be the politically incorrect here because that is US my well. job, right? I think we all um, are, but we, we are trying. Yes, but um, um, I think that we, we are on the right way. We need to look at the positive thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and there are a lot of positive things happening. So mm. uh, that's that's for sure. So I'm just a bit frustrated from you know today. But in, in, in overall, I think over the year, it's been a lot of very, very So positive. isn't it nice to come, come and have therapy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's an awesome therapy session here, I think. <laughs> but it's the, the, the final um, episode of... Of uh, the season. Of the season, thank God. Yes. I, I thought you were going to say something. No, 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 no. <laughs> But isn't it amazing? We managed through a season. Yeah. And it's worked. I mean, I know, Goran, that um, uh, you've been very frustrated with uh, Henrik and me, and, and we're not keeping to the topic, and uh, we're just, you know, rambling on in various ways. No. And Goran, yes. every, every, every session for the camera, you don't know this. How am I going to cut this? You know, where where is my themes? You need to do themes, guys. Come on. It's the OCD just running through, you know. Now, I think that we, in general, I, I think it was a very great season because we explored so many topics, but as well, I think that this was a learning process. We didn't have any of this technology or any of these processes in place, and now we can actually live stream any point of time. And we have had some tremendous... Um, great presentations, great speeches, but in the same time, awesome. People. So, how many how many seasoned uh, sessions in the first yeah, season so, now? So, this is the 15. 15. Yeah. We're sitting here it's on the. It's actually the 16, but the 16. zero one was not uh, published. That no. was the intro one that we recorded, if yeah. you remember. Yeah, we uh, as a trial, yeah? Yes. I would like to repeat a little bit on that because uh, Anders had like a very interesting story that oh. he should share. I don't remember that, but <laughs> okay. Oh, no, that was the, the, the how you end up. Uh, Ah. Being in the army, oh yeah, the, the outside of CV kind of thing. Yeah, um, but, but uh, to, to <laughs> put, to put that, the context now, we thought we're gonna start the whole podcast with doing one the first episode to introduce the hosts. Yes, but in, then in the end, we never published that, hmm. so we never really introduced ourselves. No, no, I guess not. Yeah. So, so who is Anders? Yeah, I'm an old guy that's been doing AI for for over 20 years. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't like doing the, the resume kind of things, you know. So talk about the army story instead. Well, <laughs> you know, I've always been a geek. I always, you know, programmed since I was five, six year, years old and had this first computer that was a set X81 Sinclair with eight shil- kilobytes of, of RAM. And I had an extra eight kilobytes taped by, like, yeah, <laughs> taped onto it so I could have 16 kilobytes. And uh, I... Always been geeky in that way. Um, I had, um, you know, what perhaps is not on my resume. I had a period during my studies where I did a lot of hacking as well, and uh, did that in, in a number of things. You never put that on your resume. Why not? Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you know, you're young and stupid, but 
But I remember, you know, a number of things um, that happened. One, you know, when I had to do my military service done, we had access to this kind of terminal. And I was deep into hacking at that time. You know, I love these kind of things. You know, how, how can you get into that system? How can you do that? And, and how can you stop, you know, yeah, me from doing that? But they had this terminal and, and you're supposed to just do some kind of boring like administra- administration work on it. But, you know, then I found a way to get in through the menu and then suddenly I would get the terminal, you know, and you get, ah, a terminal access. That's nice. So I started to wander around in the file system and see what it was. And I, I didn't really know what it was, but I found some games and I played some games there. And, oh, cool. You can pill play Tetris here on a text terminal. It's super cool. So I showed my friends, you know, in, in military service, some, you know, oh, this is super cool. You can just do this. So this is on, 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 on the Swedish military's, yeah. uh, t- you know, office systems yeah, or something like this. And apparently I was into the, you know, Swedish defense system and I had <laughs> full access to all the <laughs> documents and whatnot in, in that file system. But I had no idea that I actually had that. But then, uh, you know, I was doing some kind of field exercise uh, wintertime in Gotland and, and then the, um, the military police came and, you know, who, where is Sandersharptik? And, you know, they, they brought me into this kind of high quarters in, uh, in the military and, and I was sitting there in this round table with military police and literally like lamps in, in the face that you see here. And I was like shitting my pants. <laughs> I was, you know, 18 years old and I was super scared. And they were, you know, asking what have you done? Have you sold some kind of information to someone? Why do you do this? And I was, I just played some games. I, I played don't know. Tetris. I don't know. Please not. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I helped them a bit to fix the problem so no one else could get in through that you know, problem. And, and they were super happy. And, and afterward, they asked, you know, well, if you ever want to work with, uh, you know, <laughs> the military's security, then just let us know. Here is FRO way. <laughs> go, go this way. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Best way to land a job. Right? Uh, yeah. I, mean, I guess you don't put that on your resume. No, no, no it's not there. Oh. But it's a good way to truly want to understand, you know, how a computer works and all the layers of application operating systems and the, the APIs that you have in, in, in a system like that. If you truly want to, to understand it, I think, you know, you need to dig deep into it. And that what's, that's what you have to do if you want to be able to hack into something as well. Mm-hmm. And then you landed in Campania, right? Or no, oh, no. Like- um, then I, you know, I started this kind of uh, website that became really popular. It's called the Buyer's Guide. So I was still studying my engineering degrees at that point. Um, but it became, you know, one of the top um, websites in Sweden. Uh, with uh, tens of thousands of users every day, which is big. At the, this is the end of the 90s, so it's a long time ago. Um, but that meant, you know, I basically did the, like a, f- a fully automated shopping site, things like Pri- Price Runner or Plisjak, but long before, you know, mm. they existed. Uh, but then I had a lot of Perl regular expression kind of hacks, so manually programming all the extraction rules to, to get mm. information about products and prices and reviews and whatnot from different um, retailers in Sweden. Uh, but it was a lot to maintain. So, you know, manually maintaining all these rules is really a lot of work. So then I got an option and, you know, I had a rather easy time in university. So they basically asked, do you, do you want to do a PhD? And I said, yeah, sure. Well, here's the money. What do you want to do it in? So I said, ah, well, you know, I think this kind of information extraction technique that, you know, I was using that should be using some kind of AI perhaps. So then, ah, well, yeah, I mean, it sounds good. So then I started to do my PhD in AI to basically try to automate 
how information can be extracted from different semi-structured documents in different ways. So that meant reinforcement learning and uh, different kind of information extraction techniques and things like this. And then I thought, you know, I would continue in academia, and that was my idea. And I did continue after my PhD to work as a professor in Kalmar University, and which is now called Linnaeus University. Um, but then I got some venture capital to basically commercialize my, my PhD project. Uh, but it was f- uh, conditioned on me actually working for the company that financed me. So I was forced into industry. And, uh, and I said, okay, yeah, well, I, I can spend 50% of my time working in industry if you force me. But uh, as long as you, yeah, I can you know, spend the rest of the time on, on my PhD project, then, then it's fine. But then I started to realize, you know, working in industry with AI is actually much more fun. And you can really make use of AI and learn much more how to really use AI in industry that you, than you can in academia, unfortunately. But, but that was the experience for me. So I've been working mainly with you know, AI in industry from that point. And uh, I've been working in Campania. The, the first company was a viral internet group and test freaks that had this other, other kind of uh, shopping site. So these are the founders of Price Runner, actually. That funded me and uh, I, that I started working for. Mm-hmm. So we had the second generation shopping site. Um, then it was killed by Google in 2011, in February. In a single day, we lost 70% of all traffic because uh, Google changed the ranking algorithm and introduced something called the Panda update, which meant that uh, websites that extract information from other websites get very much lower rank. Mm-hmm. Basically, we dropped out of the top 10 for. Yeah, most of the products and information that we had. And we lost 70% of the revenue in a single day. And we were launched uh, throughout the world in US and China and uh, a lot of countries in Europe, etc. One day. One day. And then a couple of months later, Google launched uh, Google Shopping, which is exact copy of what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if there is correlation. Uh, another politically incorrect statement for me. But um, yeah, so go- the power of Google is... Uh, you know, it, it's awesome that they exist. You know, Google has done so much for the world mm-hmm. with the extremely useful and powerful search engine and all the other services they have. But it's also a bit scary how dependent we are to them. Mm-hmm. And when they continue to launch into one, you know, vertical after the other, not just search engines, but, you know, travel industry and booking and, and whatnot, um, it's a bit scary. On the cloud, we can speak about the cloud products and whatnot later. But yeah, anyway, then Campania and doing this kind of, you know, AI for online marketing. And we had Netflix worldwide, you know, that we managed their marketing for. I remember building some kind of AI boost algorithm, as I called it. And uh, I was tuning this kind of algorithm in some way. And then the next day I came in after I changed a small parameter for that algorithm. Suddenly the budget for Netflix went up with $100,000. And because of that change, now, whoops, <laughs> that was my fault. <laughs> it was not good. Um, so it's a kind of a fun experience of, how, you know, when you have a huge body to play with and AI that controls, you know, how it's going to be spent. If, if you do a small mistake, it can have, you know, big consequences. But we have a big competition competition in, in that company with going against the rest of the world's top, like, online market. And we won that competition. So that's why we got to worldwide uh, marketing for, for Netflix, which was very fun. But then I got contacted by Spotify and um, you know, I worked there for, for many years and uh, were able to, to build up a research team as well that basically used machine learning and big data techniques to try to optimize uh, different Spotify services. And then Paltorium, just to quickly jump over to that. So I got contacted by 
one of the investors in Peltarion in 2016 or something and basically asked, uh, Anders, have you heard about Peltarion? I said, no, no, never heard about that. And he, he started to explain, it's a company that's been around since 2004, but um, they, um, they focused you know, from beginning to on, on this kind of neural network technologies long before deep learning was popular. And they always had this idea that you know building AI systems is, is really complicated and it takes a lot of time and most people don't have the knowledge to do so. So they you know wanted to to make it better and provide provide better tooling. So they they started to build this kind of tool called Synapse in the beginning. It was a .NET uh, like desktop based application that helped you build these kind of systems. But then as you know deep learning came along and you could see how the tech giants were you know using data and AI in, in extreme ways but also see that most other companies failed, you know, to try to use especially this kind of latest uh, type of AI techniques. Um, they wanted to do something about that. So the investors basically asked the founders, can you now try to scale up this? Can you now build like a cloud-based and uh, much bigger system that can really truly make AI available for everyone? And they said, yes. And then we got a lot of funding from EQT and, and Wallenberg and this American fund called Euclidean. So we grow, grew from two people up to 80 people plus today. When were you in? What, like number five or 10? Or yeah, something like that. Uh, four or five or something, mm. I think. And, um, and we basically have two teams. So one big team that is building a platform and tooling to, to make it really simple to, to use AI. And we also have a big research team that I'm working and heading up. And uh, we basically have... A, the goal to try to, for one, just keep up with all the amazing progress that's happening in AI, which is hard enough, yeah. even if you work with this daily. And also, you know, advance and write articles, so advanced state of the art in AI. And, uh, and uh, how, well, how is the pair, Peltorion AI research team's mission stated mm. as, as a contribution to, to Peltorion? Mm. What is your ultimate mission? So you, you can basically say it's three things. So, so one is simply to, um, yeah, to, to advance AI. Mm -hmm. which is, of course, the, the more academic type of research that mm -hmm. you, you want to do. It's also to, of course, guide the development of the platform and give advice for, you know, what are really the best techniques that are making sense for industry today mm -hmm. to know what simply works or not work for real industrial use cases. So that's the, the other task. But and then third, you can say that we basically want to know, you know, what do work by, by you know, working closely with a few selected companies. So we do uh, collaborate closely with a number of uh, big Swedish and, and uh, international com uh, companies to experiment with you know, the latest techniques and see you know, how do they work when you have you know, real industrial data sets. So, and, real industrial and if I understand it right, you're trying to do a very customer-centric research in this third leg. So basically, instead of sitting at home doing it, you're really trying to uh, latch on to, to a couple of key customers mm. and work to get together with them in the research team yes but yeah. we're also building up a new like uh, expert services team that um, are going to help more uh, yeah but that's that is yeah. more like but this is even trying to evolve the plat the platform platform mm. with a few select customers yeah who are really help you so know is, is in there on almost like an, a, a different angle as a research angle yeah so i think one way to phrase it with a term that we use is to, to, to truly try to operationalize ai mm -hmm. Uh, and the difference between perhaps traditional deep learning, or we've used this kind of Jem uh, Jeremy Howard statement about uh, research in AI, and he basically says uh, most research in deep learning is a complete waste of time. Yeah. And, uh, and and you don't put yourself in that corner. <laughs> no, we don't want to to, to do the same mistake. Basically, uh, that's a big difference. 
So yeah. instead of chasing just the, the leaderboard for some kind of Metric. You know, academic data set and, and, and that type of task, we want to see what, also, what, what are the, the really real, the challenges? Real world problems. You know, why are so few companies not using AI and how can we advance research to make it better and easier uh, to do that? So that in short is uh, you know, the, the mission of uh, the research team at cool. Altarium. I get so, it. Hmm? And uh, perhaps if we can just, uh, I don't normally speak about the platform Pretorian that much because, you know, it's not, not my place to pitch that in, in this one. But perhaps today I do have a chance to pitch, pitch on a bit more. You, okay. get, you uh, have one minute. One minute. <laughs> <laughs> one minute. Jesus Christ. You but usually you give me 30 seconds. Yes, so that's exactly. So I, I think that's okay. One minute. Uh, Oh, but, uh, yeah, okay. But um, there's been so many things happening just the uh, recent year or half year or the autumn of 2020. And, you know, we launched uh, the multilingual BERT, you know, so, so you can easily train a model on the platform with any language, including Swedish, for example. A lot of these kind of wizards to simply make it easier to uh, build up the model, even if you don't know exactly, you know, what is efficient net and, and what type of activation function should I have and what is really working with this type of data set, then having some kind of guided process through that has really made it so much easier to, to do that. And then launching on Azure and, and Azure Marketplace and, and a lot of integrations with, you know, Google BigQuery and Azure Synapse and uh, these kind of uh, power apps that you can build apps, you know, mobile apps or web apps and whatnot in so much simpler ways. And then simply connecting AI to it in, a, in an easy to use way. So, uh, so you power, Peltorion and power apps is getting, you're merging or you're, you're, how does that work? Because I think that's a quite interesting one. Yeah, so so Power Apps, you know, makes it easy for for people that perhaps is not you know super expert in developing apps if it's mobile. Or but I would never, I would never expect you to talk about RPA technology. No, I will but you take are. Take that. No, <laughs> Power Apps is RPA, right? No, it's not. <laughs> oh, this was you know he's trying to make me angry here. You know, I, I was supposed to. Uh, that was. I was terribly late today. I was planning to go to this t-shirt <laughs> shop and say like, uh, you know, have Andersen's like RPA forever. I think that he will love that oh, t-shirt. Jesus Christ! <laughs> so I ha- that that was a low ball, but you know, yes. in 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 Scania we put power ups in the RPA corner. Oh, you do? Oh, mm-hmm. we do. Let, let's leave okay. it. Let's leave it. That was a low ball. Yeah, it was fun. I'm still imagining if if you want to simply you know have a user interface in some way yeah. and connect it to different backend and frontends. Now you can also connect it to an AI system that allows you to train a model and, and use that very quickly for doing some kind of text classification. Or yeah, whatever. and, 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 and used to be super clear. I didn't mean that Peltorian now is what Peltorian is all about, which is AI. Yeah. But how do I merge that with good workflows? And yeah. here, Power App is a workflow tool. Yeah. Which is essentially, you know, what you could argue RPA is all about to put to put something on top. I think RPA is better described as a like a, a macro tool. Yeah, or, you know, recording macros. If you yeah, know. you're recording macros, but, but that's it, not it, power, but apps, uh, yeah. power apps can be used like that. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's um, but um, and but I, I but I, I, I what what I like mm-hmm. because I like it is that you are trying to figure out ways. How do I make Peltorion capability of simplifying deep learning type techniques as an integrated everyday tool set in the other toolbox. Mm. And then you can explore how, how does that work together with uh, Power Apps? How does it work together with Salesforce? Mm. How does exactly. it work with, uh, you know, whatever, Dynamics, Google right? Google Sheets or whatnot. Google so, Sheets, yeah. right? So, so that's the point, right? Mm. 
but I had to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you have to do the low bowl kind of. You know, <laughs> no, it was stab not that in the back. <laughs> no, <laughs> no but RPA, RPA is not that horrible. It's just you know it's. An I think term that we will uh, come back to the, the, the um, to that yeah. topic, but I believe that AI as a service is actually the future. So. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So we can discuss about that a little bit later on. Yeah. Good. Number two, Mr. Mm. Hendrik Jodberg. Yeah, who, who am I? So I don't have the same sort of, oh, I've been working with AI since I was three years old mm. kind of uh, resume. Oh, you have human intelligence, though, so but in some way you have. I don't know. but uh, So, so my, my background, uh, you know, I'm well, from the West Coast. I, 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 I started chemistry. I, I, you know, I realized I'm not an engineer style. I'm really intrigued with uh, with with sales and marketing, actually, and I actually got really intrigued around the notion of what was then called relationship marketing, mm-hmm. and basically went to university and studied uh, services and relationship marketing. And then I had to go to uh, I actually moved to Australia because if I went to, if I wanted to go to Handels, it was they were like some uh, normal. You studied uh, economy. You know, the, the, this is in the 90s where you didn't really have, I, I want to go to university to study marketing. And then, yeah, I, I wanted to surface well, by the way. <laughs> so, so I went to Australia uh, to study relationship marketing and to surf. I thought um, I, I thought I was going to stay there for, for three months and ended up surfing, for th- oh, sorry, studying for three years. <laughs> Had a great time and got, got, got hooked on it. And, and the whole basic idea was, of course, to start looking at lifetime value of your customers and stuff like that, rather than mass marketing. And, and you know, when you come to communication, advertising, how do you do one-to-one advertising? So, so here we have, in the 90s, really fr- has been around forever, right? Uh, around how do I personalize my recommendations and messages to my customers? And from here on, uh, moving into uh, working start firstly in the IT space. So that's where I got my hacking uh, competence. Right. So I, I, you know, I started working in sales, right, and key account management. And then uh, I took the certifications on digital, uh, digital uh, Compaq and yeah. IBM. And basically, we were selling uh, uh, storage area networks. We were right. selling, uh, cl- uh, you know, high availability clusters, stuff like this, right? So I worked for, for uh, Mercantile Data, which is now part of Atea. Mm. This is really hard. This is infrastructure stuff, operating system and database, you know, data center environment. Mm. And uh, going from here, I ended up within within this space, within one of the areas within within uh, Mercantile Lotta and Atea at this point in time, and, and the, the, the name changed to Ementor, um, Terra Ementor is Atea. And we had, there was a niche business based on mergers and acquisitions that were focused on analytical CRM. So here we were, this is now, now, now we are in the early 2000s or, you know, 2001, mm-hmm. and we are selling uh, anal- analytical CRM. We, we are talking about collaborative CRM, this is this is what we know today when we say when we say um, uh, you know Salesforce or uh, uh, Dynamics at that point in time in the world it was Siebel you remember Siebel no. Siebel was the CRM system that eventually got bought by Oracle but we were talking analytical CRM which basically what we did this is this is 2000 right we built uh, based on we built data marts to to feed SaaS enterprise miner to build uh, next next best 
action recommender systems in statistical modeling approaches mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in SAS Enterprise Miner. So, so this is now products within the SAS world that is called CMM, which is literally, if you, if, if you go to SAS and ask what is CRM all about, they will talk about the next best action engine, which is a recommender engine, right? And, and uh, instead of you go to <laughs> Salesforce, they will tell you another story of multi-channel and, and marketing automation and all that. But we basically then worked already here now with the core store, the core customers were bank, banking and insurance and basically looking at the uh, share of wallet. So with this profile of customer, uh, how do I find the twins? And what should I recommend this other type, this new type of customer that only have one product? Mm-hmm. How should I act and how should I recommend Based on finding twin, uh, twins, twin profiling, mm-hmm. essentially twin, you know, uh, looking for twins. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? And then from here on, uh, you know, I, I started working. Uh, I worked for a while within the med tech industry, wor- working uh, with our CRM and data warehouse here, which was very, very interesting. This is pre GDPR, but our customers were patients. So now, now, so now, let's talk about this. Now we need to do permission-based marketing. Mm. So GDPR to me is nothing new under the sun. If you work with uh, how do you communicate to exactly. patients, Some industries, nothing it's not new. For them. It, it basically set up your processes in the right way. Understand that you need to get permission and have that part of your DNA. It's not a problem. Mm. Simply put. So and then and so this is sort of the journey I, uh, I've been on. And then I got into consulting, working with a company called ProSales. And now I'm sort of uh, now I'm sort of closing the loop back to all the way to my university degree and working uh, on on sales and marketing topics. And what I've always what always fascinated me more. So I'm I'm not I'm not a techie guy in terms of that I can code and stuff like that. But I also I never really got suckered or felt really that strategy or, you know, is so sexy either. For me, the how part, how do I make an organization act? How does an organization work? Mm -hmm. So how does the people actually work? So if I want to build a high performance sales organization, that was my core topic, right? Mm -hmm. How do I build a high performing marketing organization? How does that look like? And actually, how does it need to look like in relation to if I sell mobile phones Mm -hmm. or if I sell jet fighters? Right? Mm. How does a sales operation for jet fighters look like working with Saab? It's quite different, right? Different sales cycle than if I uh, if I if I work for Tria selling consumer uh, plans, right? So within that space, starting to look at operations, KPIs, all that. Then I, then I basically, we, 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 we did a very big job with Vattenfall, where we basically uh, processed as a consulting gig, reshuff, uh, re- did a transformation on the t- complete B2B sales operation. And it started basically by separating, like, you know, really looking at how do we really do key account management for really high impact, you know, uh, energy uh, buyers versus um, uh, versus midsize versus small companies, and then B two C was someone else. So we were working in the B two B space, and then starting to look at fundamental operations and process. And when I got into there, basically we we we, we divided the job in one part was sort of looking at the, the sales guys, but what we did this and mind you this is this is two thousand and twelve. Mm-hmm. How do we build marketing automation? How do we build a, how do I build an, a, a machine, a 10x effect to basically f- weed out the best of the best uh, leads 
and then nurture them into qualified sales opportunities and all the way down to sales. So basically, I set up an operation in Europe to generate, you know, 20,000 leads only in Germany, right? So we were generating highly qualified leads. And, and ultimately, then the way the way we structured this is, I had the role was head of business intelligence and, and, and lead generation. So it's a quite interesting role, starting in strategy, working with market intelligence. So this is the typical, you know, your customer staff, your industry staff, your competitor staff, mm. you know, what, what you can go and get from McKinsey or someone like this to build up that know-how of the market. But then the idea was, how do I go from this fluffy idea all the way down to the lead sheet? that I gave the sales guys. So how do I make that happen from go to market strategy down down to so and and, and then ultimately I set up a team uh, on European scale which had one part market intelligence and one part data and analytics data analysis we call it and literally looking at fundamental topics like churn acquisition. Mikkel Klingvall that was here as a guest mm-hmm. I took him in to basically uh, model the addressable market in Europe. Mm-hmm. So basically how do I, you know, if I, if I give an example, B2B for Vattenfall, how many companies in Sweden uh, is there, there is known entities, like half a million companies, right? Really? My, my, my short, my list, the way I looked at Sweden for B2B was 20,000 customers. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? Yeah. And then within that uh, 20,000 customers, if, if I'm a, on, on an energy contract that is renewed every three years, who is in the market every single year. Huh? So building models for this. And, and for people that know, don't know Vattenfall, I mean, it's a big company. How would you describe Vattenfall for people that don't know what they do and how big they are? I mean, like Vattenfall is, is a, a, a full, what is called a full value chain utility. Mm. And when you, see, when you say full value chain utility, it means that you're working through the whole value chain of uh, producing energy into uh, trading energy into networking, distributing energy, into selling energy. So essentially, if you look, if you look at a full value chain uh, utility from a P&L, profit and loss statement, you, you basically you have one part of the company who is producing and making money producing energy that they are selling to the market. You have one part of the company who's optimizing the trading portfolio of energy as a commodity, trading on Nasdaq or on the, on, on the physical energy exchanges like uh, Nordpool in Europe. And then you have the next, then you have, this is called upstream uh, business within a utility. And then, and then downstream, you have the fundamental uh, distribution. So someone is tr- owning and managing the networks. Mm. You get a network bill. And then actually... So that is a monopoly uh, where you live. Mm. And then ultimately, you as a, as, as, a cos- uh, as a consumer or as a B2B organization, you have your energy bill in the end. And ultimately, you, you work with energy efficiency and stuff like this. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's, it's, so the traditional energy value chain is very distinctly three or four different business models, right? Mm. Strings in a sequence. And, and, and what is happening in the energy industry, which is a huge paradigm shift, is basically when we as consumers or as businesses start to produce our own energy, we basically become, it becomes an ecosystem. We, we have prosumer roles. And if you think about that from a data perspective, the, the, the traditional energy system is set up like, a, like, a, like, a, like, yeah, like your, your bloodstream. You have one big heart, big assets, pumping energy. And then it goes further and further out, high, high, high volume, high, um, 
smaller, smaller mm. out like this. And now all of a sudden, data and energy is flowing in both directions. I actually, we did a research application in this area and I'd uh, love to hear your opinion on that, but perhaps we should take it afterwards if you have some more or should we, we can take, we can take, I, I can just finish that. So, but, but in that space, I started working in the B2B space and then basically after a couple of years, I moved over to, uh, to, I mean, like I, it, that sort of set to work on these topics. I, re- I remember one simple topic. I promised my boss that I, w- I would b- build a customer profitability pyramid. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically understanding, we want to understand our customer, who is our most important customers mm-hmm. from a profitability point of view. And Henrik, I don't, on, I, I don't only want gross margin, I want the bottom line margin, like, you know. And when you, start, when you get that, oh, it's a simple enough question, but not in an enterprise where all the data is, is at, at, at this point in time sitting in the different silos. Yes. So, th- so the costing is here, you know, so to build a view of the customer here means that I have, I have the massive data, I call it data assembly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we, I use the word, we need to build data assembly platforms. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, this is the way I rhetorically spoke to people uh, th- that weren't in, 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 te- in tech, right? Of course, you can do this with data warehousing, but it, it, it was another dimension. It was building analytical records. Um, of course, this is not new for you in, in Spotify, but, but at, 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 uh, to do that in, in, in Vattenfall, I think this is sort of, I'm, I'm on the curve here where this journey is starting in the enterprise, 2012. Mm. This is really the curve where the enterprise started to, to take notice. And doing that put me in a position that uh, I was headhunted internally to, to he- head up uh, on group level what was called a, a BIO role. So if you have the enterprise organization, enterprise IT, sometimes you talk about IT demand and IT supply, right? IT supply is the CIO. And if, I, if, I, if I'm rude now, he's the chief infrastructure officer. Mm. Uh, not the information officer, <laughs> right? Yeah, you I know think that is good. Yeah, but anyway, he's supplying the you know the systems, right? And what and and, and the common model is that you have one who is BIO w- representing one part of the business, who then basically, so all the budget is here, and this is used the cost in IT. And I'm basically we sit with the uh, project spend and with the round spend and what we should do with IT, and then we use IT supply as a, as an internal supplier. Mm-hmm. So I had that role then for 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 the CFO processes. So I was responsible for record to report. Uh, this is sort of transactional processing, uh, plan to perform, uh, planning and forecasting for Vattenfall, and then we had it for for procurement mm-hmm. and for treasury. That was sort of my core processes. So so then I, I was the system owner for the system landscape in Vattenfall for these topics, and I had the budget uh, around this. Mm-hmm which is then going from ERP systems to the central data platform, central warehouses, and all our consolidated reporting systems, stuff like this. And, you know, and digging into that journey, really in 2015, starting to understand, okay, how do, I, how do we work this, you know, efficient workflows for record to report in SAP ERP style, and how do I now take this assembly of data for analytics and forecasting purposes to essentially support uh, business control, uh, in, you know, optimization of investments and resource allocation. Um, how do we build those platforms? And, and then we basically started, you know, and now we talk about data mesh. That's the cool new thing, yeah, right? But we, we actually talked about, I, I built up a couple of data products uh, within Vattenfall from 2015 and forward, but basically, I got in and no one had said this b- before. 
we need to have this infrastructure. So I from I own this sort of cost data and all operational processes want to understand the cost in relation to the operational processes. So how can I serve anyone within Vattenfall with cost data? How can I serve them on raw data level if they want to do their own algorithms? How can I serve that on some sort of global data set level if they want to have, what's the, you know, we, we, we want to understand how many FTEs we have in huge corporations, it's impossible almost. Now I will serve that data set so they can then, uh, you know, with, take that into other algorithms. And then how can I serve tabular cubes? And how can I ultimately serve reports? So basically, we, we, we structured our, our, our we, we didn't say data products. We said uh, raw data assets, data set assets, uh, analytical assets, and, you know, reporting assets. And, and then basically working around, you know, the federated governance around that and all that. So that, that, that sort of journey shaped me a lot on this whole orchestration problem. And how many years were you at Vattenfall again? Seven years. Seven years. Seven years. And then, and then after Vattenfall, I basically started up my own company mm-hmm. and, and basically decided that, you know, I wanted to, you know, actually another key story, story of my life is meeting you, Goran, and, and during that process of time, uh, working closely with, with Hyperite and, and being the uh, chairman for the Data Innovation Summit. And, 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 and for me, that was actually a way somewhere, you know, at first I didn't go to any conferences at all. I, I didn't have time, right? I know. That. I know, you were chasing me. But at some point in time, I realized... I, I met, uh, I met uh, Henrik in 2000, uh, or I called uh, Henrik the first time in 2012. Yeah. In September. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and, and but but the bottom line here was that the group think within Vattenfall on how things were done was too strong. And I I I was still learning. I'm, I'm not... The, I, I didn't know the stuff. I, I needed to find adult learning approaches, right? And I, I need to talk to the best of the best. I need to understand what they're doing. And and then I figured out, well, if I'm going to go to conferences, I prefer even to, I actually prefer to speak. Yeah. I think it's fun. It's a great way to network. It's, it's, it's an icebreaker in itself. And, and, you know, so that's another part really then shaping me to take it completely outside in look on how can we do this. Mm. And then the challenge is, of course, that what, what works in Spotify will not work the same in Vattenfall, never. No. But you need to understand then Vattenfall and our, our culture and our setup, and then understand what, what did they achieve and how would that work here? So, so that really shaped me that even when I buy consulting or how I want to engage, I was looking for some other types of model. And this is my pitch now for, yeah. I'm, I'm working really f- with one company I, I, it's, it's like a startup that has uh, divide, been divided into two major parts. One part is uh, Daredax, is my company, which essentially is based on an idea to, to form consortiums around the best experts on the planet in different fields of a cross-functional uh, Venn diagram. We talk about the Venn diagram. And what does uh, Daredax stand for? It's a nice acronym, right? Yeah, so Daredax is actually uh, data AI ready, and Dux is Latin for if you if you Google Dux, it's, it means guide or leader. Yeah. Nice. Um, so I, I, it, it was the Dare guide, Dare yeah. guide. Nice. And and the basic idea then, like being having been a consultant for a couple of years and, and being in sales, and then sort of working now seven years buying a lot of consultants and also buying a lot of the vendors 
you know, all the whole procurement stuff, all that. Mm-hmm. My strong feeling was consulting, if for me, means something else than to take over for another company. Uh, I think for society to become data and AI ready, for society to close the uh, data and AI divide, we need our uh, proud analog companies to make their own journey. So my job as a consultant is not for them to outsource this know-how to me, but it's for me to hold their hand and grow with them and do and, and help and them bootstrap them bootstrap them yeah. and which which actually has a, it not, then how you do consulting how you do your engagement I, I'm, I'm not alone to say that of course but but it has a completely different outlook on how you take on mm-hmm. uh, your job and now you work with uh, another big company right yeah so na- so now in Deradax, uh, i mean like so Scania for me it's, it's, it was quite interesting because th- starting Deradax, and we basically also try to figure out, you know, when you do startup, what's the fundamental business model? You know, what am I going to do? I mean, like we have tons of consultants in data and AI or whatever. So trying to figure out that model and all that. And I started to work with a couple of different companies, uh, Grundfos, uh, Sumitomo. I did, a, I, did a, I did some small gigs with Booliden. And then basically an old friend of mine called up and we had a meeting here at the data club where she basically took on a new job and she basically needed to build her management team. And she said, look, look, Henrik, uh, I think you know what this is all about because Scania is quite decentralized and I know you worked in a quite decentralized model, how it works in Vattenfall. Uh, do you want to come in and, and work with me? And, and for me now, I know I'm going to build my company. And I, I was trying to help her and explain to her, her when you do this, Helena, that's her name, you, we need to build a muscle. You need to build an you, engine. You need to do a shout out to Helena as well. Yeah, so Helena Hörnebrand. Yeah, yeah. It, it, do a shout out to her. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so basically we were sitting there for one hour trying to sell to each other from with slightly different words exactly the same thing. Mm. So then basically um, I was pitching to her. I'm, I'm building this company. It means you need to work in this way. If you know, I'm only want to work with customers who who wants to truly become data AI ready themselves, who understands that this is not a project thing. This is a muscle thing that you need to build up so you grow your data and AI readiness over time. So that's why we, I say data and AI ready, because we, have, we, we are so far away to be you know, data AI. It's, it's a readiness journey. We're Compared doing. to the tech giants at least. Yeah. To pe- compared to the tech giants, that's the point, yeah. Mm-hmm. And here we are now sitting in a meeting where we basically sell the same idea to each other. And then we basically <laughs> figured out, all right, so I'm, 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 I'm taking on uh, a role now within Scania. Uh, uh, so I, I'm, the, I'm then within one domain, Scania Financial Services. So this is the part of Scania that is working with the loan and leasing and insurance for fleets of trucks and buses mm-hmm. on a global scale. And now we are then um, now so it's, it's a quite transformative journey for the bank. How they going to be? How do we going to automate that business and optimize that business, and integrate that business e- even further into Scania? And 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 with that said, I, I took on the role as uh, what we call uh, global data and insight or insight and backbone is the word we're using internally now. Mm-hmm. So basically building the foundation in, in, in data-driven ways of working, on platform, 
basically, if you have a couple of core ERP systems, how do I containerize the, the, the ERP systems and put them ne next to data products of different kinds? So very much inspired by Lale and, 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 yeah. and you guys and trying to understand that on a global scale. For a tech scale. person, when you say containerized, it means something else. But yeah, I actually mean it. You did? Dockerized things. No, not dockerized, dockerized, but in the ten, in this understanding an ERP system, even if it's a really big mm. microservice, so it's still it's something... isolated at least. It, 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 ERP needs to be able to serve data efficiently like any other data product. Mm. Yep. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so that's and what I'm doing. And then, and then I, I should give a shout out. I, I've been wearing this Airplane Alliance t-shirt. So what actually the second part what we happen, what we worked on, is those ideas that is sort of driving Daredex. Uh, we we at the same time initiated a a peer to peer community. So I, I founded it together with Grunfos and Scania, and basically trying to work on these ideas on what data and AI readiness means, how to work data driven, uh, and basically knowledge share, and start in the same way that we share open source, you know, on 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 GitHub or whatever. We can actually do a lot of this stuff on on best practices. How do you, how does a data scientist job description look like? How does does a recruitment process look like? So basically, finding the core topics in, in in like a data science chapter, a data management data steward chapter, a data engineering chapter, and a more data commercialization chapter. So different dimensions mm. that we then co-create the knowledge share, basically saying, hey, if we have a common lingua and ideas how we work, Scania is working on one part and and, um, and Grundfos on another part, and then basically we can invest together and we share it together and it's half the investment. And, and it, it has led, you know, Scania and Grundfos, for instance, they've been working on a knowledge graph project this year. Mm. That's quite interesting that they, they, where they, be, they we build playbooks together and stuff like that. So basically accelerating, you know, how do I understand data ops, right, as, as a process, you know, what, what is that all about? So that's, that kind of peer-to-peer -peer community has been um, another part. And I'd love to, to talk more about, you know, the topic of decentralized energy markets and things like that. But I think we should also, you know, pay some attention to, to the guy that rarely say anything and, and still is the, the main, like, brain of, of the whole thing, which is Gordon. I, I thought that I'm the guy who says the, the, the most things and I should be basically very well, quiet. I think, <clears> you know, <throat> people would love to hear a bit, you know, who is Gordon? Um, um, I don't think that I'm uh, that fascinated story behind it. I'm just I think, a humble you know, guy walking against uh, amongst the giants. No, and that but, is the but I take it differ because I, I've heard your stories also from your upbringing and all that. That what, whatever has shaped you, Goran, is a, mm. is a quite a lot of good stories. I, I think. Um, in this context, I think that the the, the light is more on you, um, and but I can share a little bit. Basically, uh, not the background and etc. Because I moved to this country around 2016 and started working mm. in an event company uh, immediately, and I fell in love with it somehow because it's. Um, I was amazed that something really meaningful and very beautiful happens when two people with the with the same energy and thought and ambition meet. And uh, many people basically believe that going on conferences is like, yeah, I'm going to go and listen to some presentation. Maybe I'm going to meet some people. But when you sit in the background and you see all these people actually meet, not, not all of them, of course, but those people that actually meet, 
there is something magical happening behind it. Mm. And being able to, to, to find those people and to put them into the same place and see how this network grows, mm. I think this is something that really, really amazed me. And um, I have been um, uh, blessed and humbled actually to meet uh, you two and many other people in this industry. And I think that this is basically what shaped me. So uh, me saying that I'm a humble guy walking against uh, amongst the giant, giants, I think it's a, it's a good statement against this because I have worked on so many projects in uh, different industry, everything from um, e-health to defense to, to talent management to mm. AI and et cetera. And, you, and there is so big correlations between all of them. It's always some passionate people that basically right now are pricing analysts fighting to make this as a function and screaming uh, that uh, I know what to do, but nobody is basically giving, you know, um, the true belief in that uh, or the purpose in that function. And especially in enterprises, this is very obvious. So finding and making a conference where you actually can get a number of those people, the smartest people in the uh, in this area into the same room to discuss a topic that they passionately burn about. Mm-hmm. Something and magical happens there. And that is basically what shapes me. It's basically making people meet, finding interesting people, getting to them, getting them into an environment where they can further develop or further meet somebody else. Because when they grow, I grow. Um, and that is basically everything I have to say about uh, me. I mean, you're such a <laughs> humble person. And, uh, you know, I I love meeting you and uh, all the things that happened. I think the first time we met was, was it Data Innovation Summit or was no, it? So, I, uh, so when I started my, uh, when I started Hyperite in 2015, I believe I, you were amongst the first data scientists that I actually called for Data Innovation Summit. Mm. And I think this was around like, August or September 2015. Mm-hmm. It was actually you, Errol Kuhlmeister, Robert Luciani. Right. Um, uh, when I left actually my ex-company and I started Hyperite, and the Hyperite name is basically Hype, the mm. Gartner Hype, and then Write. Yes. The ambition was actually to help uh, organization to mature their analytical capabilities mm. uh, by going through the hype and actually focusing on the things that, that matters. That matters. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, just to close on this, because how I met you is actually why we are doing this today. And this is why I believe this podcast is also very important. So uh, when I met uh, Hendrik, he was in a state where basically he was burning about making a difference. Mm-hmm. But he was also in a pain because uh, what he, he was the loudest in the room and nobody liked it. Mm-hmm. And there are thousands like Hendrik in their own functions that are trying to change something, but they are not. So when we started Hyperite, uh, the first person that I called is actually Hendrik. So like, hey, I'm thinking of doing something in this mm-hmm. area. He was working in, in uh, Vattenfall. You undersold yourself in that story because you were uh, one of the most important people there to my extent. And if you stayed there, you would even, uh, I, um, I think that you, will, uh, you would have been even bigger. So I called him and I told him, like, I want to make a difference in the area of data. And uh, AI innovation was not even possible at that point of time. It was just simple data innovation summit. Um, and um, 
um, I asked him like, I don't know anything about the topic, but I know that this is going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were sitting, uh, he booked one of the rooms in uh, Vattenfall and uh, we had like, a, it was a very small room, I think around like three and a half, maybe square meters. One of, one of the conference rooms. Yeah, so conference like rooms. And, uh, we had like a green marker that was um, barely functioning, and yeah. et cetera. And we were starting, I still have the picture at home and he was trying to define to me how this actually work. And uh, I have been blessed uh, as well uh, since small to be uh, quite, uh, to having like a photogenic memory and etc and try to see how things works so we we bounced uh, for an hour and a half how this will look and he draw some parallels from different conferences that he did and we realized that we basically had all, all the substance to do a good core of stroganov <laughs> <laughs> but we were missing the last uh, uh, ingredient and the last ingredient was that it was not about the innovation it was not about what digitalization is it's about people not understanding the data scientists are going to be the innovators of the future and you're putting them into a basement into a dungeon at that point of time not paying attention what is happening because in Spotify at that point of time Google and Airbnb and all of these other companies this was already visible and they were fighting for this content for this uh, talent but if you looked at uh, Vattenfall at that point of time and many other organizations this was actually not Uh, visible. So what we wanted to do is just like, what if we merge the startup community or the data-driven digital-born community like Spotify, Kings, and etc., and merge them with the enterprise and see what is going to happen in this uh, merge of... Uh, so of, uh, really make sure we have speakers yes. who can tell the story how Spotify does it, yes. and then having people from Waterfall in the room and going, Huh. So yeah. that, it, it was so hardcore in my, on I my agenda. I think, you know, it's such a big yeah, difference, right? Goran is, you know, being overly underestimating his impact yes. on our society and Sweden and the Nordics. And since he's being that humble, I think I have to brag a bit for him. And I think he actually, he, he's like the spider in the web that I think has contributed more than very, very few other people in increasing the level of awareness, what you can do with AI and data. And, and these all the conferences you are arranging, like the Data Innovation Summit, I guess it's the biggest like in, in the Nordics. About no, data. right now we are number three in the world. Actually, three in uh, the world. Yeah. In uh, so we had like the number. I have something which is called Rule Number Five or Rule Five. And when we started uh, hype, right? And when we started the uh, Data Innovation Summit, the ambition was to be one of the three biggest in the world. And um, the ones that we were chasing after it was O'Reilly Media, Sostrata, and uh, yeah. the, um, in United States, um, uh, which also continues on the on the, sto- the topic that we had before. Sorry about that. Um, and then it was Gartner. <coughs> so um, uh, the beginning of that innovation was, uh, it's actually really, really important in this area. Oh, Hendrik, oh he did a Hendrik on us. Oh, <laughs> oh come on. Um, Sorry, guys. Um, I wasn't so um, um, I think that uh, it's important to finish the story about data innovation because it shows something which we will discuss a little bit and what we are discussing today. So we were thinking, as I said, like that the, the, the biggest ingredients that was missing in this course program was actually uh, putting the startup companies and uh, the digital born companies and the old traditional companies in a one time and see basically what is going to happen. Because if you want to go somewhere, you need to see where you're going. And the rapper for that was basically Spotify Kings and everybody else, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
And then the idea was actually, let's take uh, people that are super burning for this topic, like Ingo Pass. Shout out to Ingo Pass. That is what I was telling before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we had uh, Jonas Schordel and we had like um, uh, Sherstein and, and many other, like they are truly, truly passionate about this. So it was a very simple conference to organize. And I quote you, Errol, mm-hmm. and everybody else. And it was a blessing. Um, but we had some challenges because, um, first of all, we were supposed to organize an event in Sweden that was in English. Nobody liked it. Even my previous bosses said, like, it is never going to be possible. Just, uh, you know, everybody was doing conferences in uh, in uh, Swedish. So, like, I don't understand. How can all the, 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 um, the books are in English, mm. but uh, nobody wants to do a conference on English in Sweden? There is no books in uh, Swedish mm. about data science, data mining. We actually called all the universities at that point of time to map if they have a data science uh, courses. Nobody had except the university in Skovde that was starting on that. Which was very interesting. There okay. was only 973 data scientists at that point of time. Do you know mm. how many of there? 30,000 or? No? 250 <laughs> on open search on, on, uh, in the Nordics, right? So it's like Jesus. potatoes. Yeah. Uh, no offense in that. I think that Jesus basically portrays the maturity. And uh, the, 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 the last part was, the last part was, uh, when you call people, people would say like, why should I go to conference in Sweden now? I will go to Hadoop and Strata in the U- mm. United States. And I couldn't, couldn't understand that. So you go to United States, you pay 2,000 euros mm. for entrance. You're going to be out for three, four days, which is basically lost for the company. And then on top of that, you have all the travel and etc. So I understand if you're a traveler and you want to travel, this is the best thing ever, mm. right? But if you want to justify something, which is basically, let me now get the world to Sweden, to Stockholm as a capital of the, the Nordics, and you will pay only 10% of the price. So if it's 2,000 euros, you only pay 200 euros on the Innovation Summit. Mm. Would you buy it? Mm. Yeah? Um, so there, those are the things that actually shaped quite, uh, went quite nicely into this mix, and we have been doing that um, since then. So right now, O'Reilly Media definitely this year shut down their conference business because of Corona and moved yeah. to digital. They will not be doing any conferences anymore. And uh, Gartner has been a rapper for us. So we have been actually strategically placing our conferences <laughs> in the same week or the week after Gartner, <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. just to prove that uh, they should, uh, because we believe that, and uh, do not take this offense if you are listening to it, and if you're listening to it, you should listen a little bit carefully. You are contributing to the hype. And uh, we believe in creating events. And this podcast for me is also uh, taking practitioners who actually work in the area to say what they mean, what they're struggling with, and how we can go further. Mm -hmm. With uh, all of these things that are happening right now, it's only a hyperinflation of the topic. So we are actually hyping the thing more than usual. Mm. Um, and this is the politically incorrect that we are all uh, avoiding the pink elephant in the room. There is so much noise, mm. but actually the people that are truly doing something, their voice is not heard. And these are the practitioners on the field, data managers, enterprise architects, master data managers that have been neglected for the past 15 years and nobody wants to talk with them. Mm. The data engineers, the master data, the, the, the machine learning engineers that we have had here that have a truly passion to revolutionize industries, but that are um, part of a Some, political Somehow game. they don't not make it up into the executive rooms where the money exactly. is. So the money is spent in one way 
where it's quite clear, you don't need to look so deep that maybe we could spend money smarter, less PowerPoints, more code, mm. as a simple statement. So, um, so I did like quite a lot of uh, negative things there, but uh, my positive thing is that I believe, truly believe that the practitioners or the revolutionaries of the, today, the innovators... Yeah, and, and, we, and, it, and it's been funny yeah. because you've been very consistent. We said a couple of things, I remember, in that conference room. So one of the main value propositions, we need to bring the best conferences. Why do we need to travel to the US? We need to bring the best of the best here, here. instead. We need to figure that out. Exactly. Number one. Number two, the real legends are the guys working with this that understands it. It's Sahara. It's Carl Tombe. It's And I even remember I, I, we, we did this in Dagens Industry, like that media, you know, we always did an editorial. Yeah, um, uh, Media Planet. Yeah, Media Planet. I did a couple of editorials for the Data Innovation Summit and we talked about the pink elephant. I, I did a couple of articles and one of the articles I did was basically we need to understand what is seemingly very technical operational topics now all of a sudden has a very, very high strategic impact. So so executive has never bothered about the ar- architecture of the system landscape. But ultimately in Scania now or in Vattenfall, it's a tremendous strategic impro- importance as soon as they say we will participate in an ecosystem. We have an energy ecosystem, we have a transport ecosystem, a telco ecosystem we already know about. There is a banking uh, you know, uh, ecosystem. And, and now with Grunfos, I've been learning more about the intelligent water ecosystem. Because whether you like it or not, when this becomes automated, it's data that needs to flow. And then ultimately the strategic technology choices and how you understand your position, it's not only, only a market position, but it becomes an architectural position. It becomes a data standard position you need to take. The telcos figure this out, you know, if you if you know your 2G's journey to 5G mm. and you know how fragmented we talked 2G, 3G, CDMA, LTE, mm. it, it was a bloody mess. And then what you have in Japan, so there were like five, 10 different standards on protocols to make uh, 2G, 3G work. And now we're down to one, 5G in different flavors, but it's one, right? So, um, and this needs to happen in the, it, it will happen around the utility space and smart city space. It will happen in, in energy. It has to happen. Otherwise, we will not, not be able to manage this. And all of a sudden now, whether you like it or not, whether we like to build monolithic data lakes or data platforms at home, you are part of an ecosystem, whether you like it or not. And, and this, this whole topic now, how we do this, how we orchestrate this, how the data engineers work, Mm. <laughs> how the data scientists work all of a sudden got to, into strategic importance. Yes. How then to drive that journey and make the, these, these voices heard because they will explain what they need differently than McKinsey or Bain will do to you if you listen to these yes. guys. Exactly. That's the problem in, in, in a nutshell to me. It, it, it is time to sell PowerPoints. It's time to, to start working. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, and actually, give it, just give it, give, give the chance to the people that are actually doing quite well. And, and the guys who it needs to do well. He, here's Salah's, uh, Salah's less, uh, what is called, uh, episode that we have. It was beautiful. Chief data scientist at SAB, right? Sahara. Sa- yeah. I mean, 
maybe it's time for us to, to round up. Uh, the, um, we, yeah. This was the first thing that we wanted to do, actually. So this is going it to be a little... Took one and a half hour. Took one and a half hour. Well, it's our podcast, so we it's can so do whatever today, we want. Today we do what the fuck we want. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so um, basically I've been trying to do a summary, and I can tell you this is a beautiful... I can I can organize a conference around Try this. to cut this one, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so let's Ooh, let's Your try. turn to give it back to Goran. <laughs> let's try to... No, no, I, I have been measuring, so... Basically, we had uh, 15 minutes uh, presentation by Anders, 20 minutes presentation by you, seven minutes by me, mm-hmm. and we are still on the ah, go. The ah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, just joking. I think that we are around there. So, But I, I think we have a clear things. Basically, I'm very proud of what we have accomplished this year. And, and we will talk a little bit more about why we are doing this, because I think for many it's important. This, and we have been receiving quite a good feedback from people, constructive feedback as well, um, how to improve and etc. So, um, and we can talk about this ambition, but I think that uh, what we have accomplished this year is to, um, I think that the idea when we all three got together was actually only one. Uh, let's try to demystify AI and AI innovation and what it means by introducing people that are actually working with it mm-hmm. today, the, the, the heroes of today. And I think we have accomplished that to some extent. Of course, we have a number of topics that we can talk to, but this is going to be a little bit of a monologue right now. But these are the topics. Just hear, hear it out, and then we can discuss about, um, you know, repeated themes and all of these things. So uh, the first one was actually to demystify AI. So we discussed, like, what is AI, what data and AI-driven actually means. Uh, why should companies focus on it? Uh, the AI landscape today, why it's so hard to start with AI? Why do some companies succeed and others fail with it? This is like a subsection of the, 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 the first principle part that we spoke with uh, Mikael Klingwell, machine learning and the first principle thinking in research. This was it, Gabriel, I believe. Uh, how to accelerate AI throughout the organization, AI strategy, and how to insert AI into day-to-day uh, business operation. This was the last one with Salah Fransen. Uh, data infrastructure in a model, a modern tech company. This was with Sahar Asadi. Uh, we spoke about data, inf- uh, data factory, the next level of being data driven with Lale. Uh, the same topic we discussed about with Lale, we discussed as well. Um, what does it mean to be data driven, or or does that mean to be cloud driven as well? And then, uh, if you want to follow up on that, you can uh, listen to Petronella Posti uh, about moving to cloud, the benefits, the challenges, and the lift and shift that uh, Hendrik liked very much. I believe that was the T-shirt that we were looking for. Uh, lift and shift. <laughs> okay. Forget lift and shift. Um, then we move a little bit more to organizational topics, and uh, here we talk a little bit with difference uh, between analytics and AI. Uh, this was Luca when he was here. Uh, what is data scientist? Uh, Carl Tomé, highly recommended uh, session. I think there's so much energy. I, I think he was the sharp at def- defining I'm not the data scientist. I'm not the machine learning, uh, you know. Yes, really, uh, exactly. Really look. But it's such a great energy as well to uh, have. I, I loved it when we have like high energy people in this um, uh, podcast. Uh, data scientists versus uh, ML engineers. This is actually Mikael Klingwell. Mikael Klingwell um, did a good job. I'm very sad that we couldn't, uh, that we had to cut the, 
the, we the had realm some noise of data. Issue. Yeah, the realm of data noise. Uh, the realm of data science is actually it was my fault because uh, the camera that we had at that point of time it was just I thought that I was showing it, but it was not. I didn't set it up. But we will record it and we re-record it and send it. Then we spoke about centralized and decentralized uh, versus decentralized data science teams. This was also with Mikael Klingvall. Uh, the tech uh, stack for data science, this was with Salah uh, last week, as well as how to recruit data scientists and uh, ML career path and uh, how to find AI talent with Sahar as well. Mm-hmm. Then we spoke about research uh, and more technical discussions. Um, we talked about difference between research uh, and product teams. We talked about uh, taking AI research into production. Uh, maintenance of uh, machine learning projects that I would like to discuss more in the future mm. because I think that people are a little bit blinded. They think this is going on on air. Yeah. Um, um, if you have read the latest uh, this scandal with the Google uh, AI ethics uh, research team, oh, yeah. you the will see the cost fired, of that. So. Yes, exactly. Uh, I think uh, Sahar actually recommended her to be part of this podcast, mm. which was very interesting. Um, although, so uh, the hidden technical depth in machine learning systems that was with Lars Albertson, um, programming languages and how to be efficient in building ML systems. Um, this was with Robert, natural language processing, word to vec and transformers, Robert Luciani as well. Um, what is self supervised learning with Carl Tome? Um, how to how do uh, how to efficiently program software? Can ML help? This was with Mikael Klingvall. The research behind generative uh, pre-trained uh, transformer three or GPT three. This was with Luca. The fundamental research uh, versus applied research. Uh, with uh, Gabriel Skanse, uh, beautiful session. Yeah. I think that it was one of the, the uh, one of my top favorite guests. Actually, so very informative. Ad- so. Yes, yeah, very, very, very uh, uh, big admiration and and uh, the only and point we should have had is robot here. I'm really yeah. pissed off next that we mixed time. the fur hat. Um, the fur hat. Then we that have cool. starting research teams in uh, in an enterprise. I think that this uh, skunk work that we were discussing yeah, last week with, with Salah, Salah it was cool. amazing. Super cool. Um, what does a lead AI researcher do and this we discussed with Sarah uh, with uh, Sahara Sadi then we we talked about use cases um, I wish we can uh, put more use cases because I saw in the thread that we were actually doing on every episode that um, we shift but actually if you look at these five themes are still you know you can divide it so uh, we discussed the purpose of AI in the public sector with Luis. Um, it's a it's a guest that I believe that we should have her on yeah. the program in the future. Love her energy. I think that she was amazing. She is, uh, yeah, where she ends up. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, we talked about like... Um, in the first episode, I think, and it was around Amazon coming to, to Sweden and how this is going to influence the retail business and et cetera. So far, they have been very quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife bought something from uh, through them uh, yesterday for Christmas. I was a little bit uh, annoyed by that, but it doesn't matter. Uh, AI in transport, I mean, uh, in the future we will buy, but right now... Um, I don't know. Uh, AI in transport and disruptive thinking. Uh, this was Patrick Coach, actually. Um, uh, it's uh, it's uh, actually one of our biggest ambassadors, I think. Uh, so uh, shout out to Patrick. I think he yeah, did, like, he, amazing he's job. sharing. Um, can AI democratize music? This was with Carl Tome. ML and game development, Sahara. How, to, um, how AI 
how to use AI to solve logistics problem. Uh, Robert Luciani and, and, uh, and Fox Rain, they are working on some very great product that should be up uh, next year, I believe. Uh, future of consultancy and freelancing. Um, uh, Hendrik, I believe you had like a blast with Petronella Posti <laughs> about that. Exactly. Uh, robotics and how uh, a robot works. Uh, we spoke about IoT and 5G as an accelerator to do for data and AI innovation. This was Daniel Lewis. Uh, I need to redo his uh, his um, uh, video though, that uh, because in one sentence. Uh, sequences, uh, the, the sound is missing, but we have it as a double. So I'll re-edit over the Christmas. AI as innovation engine for disruptive companies. That was after Gatami. Beautiful mm. session as well. Mm, a lot yeah. to learn. Uh, um, great energy as well. And Interesting then, to contrast uh, US uh, university with Swedish. Yes. Uh, he had some ideas. Actually, uh, I, I sh- uh, should have had him in the research part a little bit more, but uh, it's um, yeah, what is called, uh, because some of the topics that we discussed that it was uh, I treat truly amazing and I love his uh, sincerity that basically the research is all about money mm. okay and the reason why we are failing is because we don't have the money and we, the reason why we don't have the money is because we don't invest enough so right now France is investing Canada is investing uh, UK is investing and most of the companies are, uh, countries are investing and all of those you will find them in the dig research yep. uh, report mm. those are the companies that we look countries that we look up to. And the reason why we look up to because they have the money. And I think that he was spot on on that. Um, um, and then uh, basically we discussed other topics, which was actually a very, very nice thing. Uh, so we talked about um, um, AI ethics. We talked about uh, Robert Luciani's famous statement that people are bad in ethics. I think it's a t-shirt. Uh, diversity bias in data. Regulation and leveling up playing field for competition in the digital era. That was Patrick Coach as well. Um, how do we get more women to tech? That was uh, Sahar and, and um, what is um, so, Salah as well. And also Petronella. Petronella. I mean, this is a repetitive. These are back. all like, I haven't put all of them, but it's basically repetitive teams that we have. And then we had some phys- philosophical teams that uh, Anders masters quite <laughs> heavily. And that was... Um, uh, we spoke with uh, Luis, uh, what is AI and uh, the relationship to God? Uh, so, so all of you that haven't heard, uh, that haven't listened to this uh, section, uh, you should definitely listen to that. Um, I love uh, Patrick and uh, we discuss uh, psychedelics, AI and human potential. Right now in, you, uh, in Sweden, we have a company that is actually heavily lobbying and investing in utilizing yes. psychedelic, uh, psychedelics. And it's been as examined a, as a proper like, medicine. Yes, and well. so they have a backup from, I don't know, Klarna owners or something like that. I think it was somebody. Yeah. Um, uh, this is unverified, uh, uh, verified actually, uh, what is called information. So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, but there is uh, a big startup uh, backup behind this research, and um, uh, we can put actually yeah. the link. And proper in this. research, proper being research, done yes, exactly. To, to study this, what the effects are. So uh, with Kaltomir, we discussed singul- uh, singularity. Uh, is this a positive or negative? And I believe we, dispo- we spoke this. Uh, we discussed a this as well guys. with singularity a couple of guys. Uh, Luca as well. One of our one um, of my sort of repeating questions to to end and the. It's the nice uh, and philosophical kind, yes. of, kind yeah. of question. So do we have a date when this is going to happen? Uh, yeah. Many dates. We yes. have several dates. Do we have, do, do, 75. Do we have a winner date so far? I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. Let's do. Uh, yeah. Let's uh, accumulate this over a couple of seasons. So we'll, let's see. Uh, the beautiful thing is that we'll learn about Robocop. Mm. 
right? I think uh, I never thought about that. That uh, was uh, very interesting for me. With Sahara, yes. Sahara yes, is Sahara. an avid Robocop, um, robot yeah. cup. Yes. Football, uh, robot football. We had uh, Mia Shriver and we talked uh, gig economy, that uh, data and AI divide. And AI mm. divide is actually one of the major things that we yeah. have discussed over the, the uh, and I believe it's going to be even more impactful next year uh, on the next season. Uh, we discussed AI in elections and mortal analytics during the COVID-19 with Lars Albertson. If you haven't heard that uh, and uh, Lars actually did a presentation on data innovation, and I believe it's uh, open, available on um, uh, online right now. Um, this mortal analytics during COVID nineteen is that, I, is that I, on YouTube or is it for your hype uh, right? Not, uh, not ours, but Lali usually pu- publish himself. Uh, he has like um, I think he published on a many even on the the session uh, he actually explained which uh, where he has it. But um, if you cannot find it, you just basically text me or uh, message us on YouTube or whatever and. Um, we will share it with you. It's a beautiful uh, example of how wrong can you be when using uh, wrong data from beginning. And we have four more, and these are famous conversational systems with Gabriel Scanse, uh, physical versus um, digital interactions and telepresence, which was basically the basics of Furhat, if I understood correctly. And then we were talking about globe trotting, uh, globe trotting, <laughs> with uh, Daniel Lewis, um, uh, and then. Um, we had the pleasure to speak with Atter Getami and uh, pick his brain uh, and experience around AI, mm-hmm. um, Poden and uh, the podcast that he's organizing. So if you see, this is like three pages or two pages basically of topics. And what's the themes? You said we have five so themes. So the, the, f- the five themes is basically what is AI and the implication to society and enterprises. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the importance of research, both in outside uh, or enterprise, uh, inside so research, and outside. research, second. Yes. Um, Third. Um, then we had a little bit more technical and organizational discussions. First of all, organizational discussions around how to organize AI and data science team in an enterprise or any type of organization. What does that actually mean in order for them to uh, contribute uh, or provide a value or maximum value for the for the organization, and then we discuss some latest developments in uh, in the technical. Yeah, sphere, I mean, right? like so. So the theme here, organizational technical, is really also a deep dive on on what techniques some of, some of our guests are using. Yes, which is really interesting to see hardcore what is used. It's, it's quite a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, just to finalize this, so if you just a question, so then we were discussing different use cases, and I believe that we should incentivize a little bit more use cases. because uh, people learn through something that is inspirational or get motivated by something that is motivational but learn something that is applicable. I'm talking about concrete examples. Concrete use cases, but but then also actually follow follow them through the whole way. So starting from the business problem and and then actually starting to understand what they have mm. built. I mean, it's so easy to become very abstract to speak about like, um, you know, non-concrete terms. Yeah. Mm. Just, you know, give, exemplify, exemplify things makes everything so much clearer. Exactly, mm. exactly. Yeah. People, people need to find that, um, uh, you know, like uh, I can relate to this. Yeah. Because if you cannot relate to something, then you don't like it, you don't love it, you don't, yeah. you don't, you're not passionately attracted to it. Yeah. Um, I think that the other topics, which is basically the AI, ethics, diversity, mm. how to recruit talent, how to get more women and diversity, I would say, not women, but the diversity in diversity general, in, in, general. In, in tech is very important because yeah. uh, as we discussed about um, uh, bias. Well, we said not general, but 
No, gender no, no. So like, but yeah. big not, is not gender, gender, but and bigger than that. Yes. Diversity, gender, I believe, of course, is something but diversity yeah. is a bigger topic. Yes, because I believe that more diverse we are, more uh, less bias we get into the data. Yeah. And uh, I think that Stephen Probst on Data Innovation said this many times, and many other people actually said this as well. So, but of course, it's a two different topics. But uh, I, I would see that diversity is actually something that we need to lift up more and more. I think so, too. especially as we are moving to the gig economy, etc. And the last one, I would not like to uh, take out of this in the season two, I would like to actually intensify on the philosophical themes ah, and personal like topics. Ah, personal and philosophical topics we need to Yeah, agree. because you, you learn who the person actually mm. is. Yeah. I mean, so it's amazing, the, you know, and mind-blowing yeah. in some way, you know, how when many you topics it like this. We, we have actually covered. And, you know, I, if we could simply build an AI on top of this that says, you know, if you have a question, just find, you know, the exact like clip in all yeah, of these yeah. kind of podcasts uh, where you can hear some yeah. potential answers. And an NLP question question box, chat chatbot question that, 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 task, yes. t- that brings out the five minute snippets. Yes. Or sort out really the do this, snippets. You know, this is one of my specialties. Also, yeah. That's if you take this as a chapters in a book, you have already a 300, 400 pages um, yeah. book. And I believe oh, this so is may- maybe maybe we should do that one then. We should use uh, GPT three to write the book for us. <laughs> no, no, no! Don't say these things. So we, we People will <laughs> actually believe you when you say that. It's horribly bad. But that's okay. But I, think, I, I believe. Mina slamkrypare. I, I was sitting yesterday night and writing this, and I, I was. Um, so amazed actually because when you divide it like this, it, it, it creates so much mm-hmm. value. Yeah. But what is, what is, what is your key takeaways, guys? So to, you summarized this and you wrapped it up and you basically did boom the inventory and you you you, you pulled out themes, right? Mm. How would you summarize the first season of fifteen if mm. this was Goran's attempt? I'm a you know I, I'm a techie person. I like the, the tech topics. Uh, yeah. I love the research topics. I love the philosophical topics and, and these type of discussions. I think is, is super fun and. Um, uh, I wish we could have more of them. Yeah, but it's also, I think, uh, very informative for me to hear, you know, from from other sides yeah. and other topics that I may not otherwise, you know, talk that much about or hear that much about. So I, I certainly think I've, you know, you learn a lot by simply being, you know, a host in, in these kind of things. Being with, present, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really expands your view and gives like a holistic view that you otherwise won't have. So yeah, I, I certainly learn a lot, and I I, I try to co- uh, convince this to my to my wife at home why I need to spend every Thursday <laughs> uh, with the boys. Are ah, you just with the boys drinking beer? <laughs> yes, but no. The point is this: to be as a host here, I I I can't stop now because it's almost addictive. The learning curve, mm. and 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 the learning curve is both that you can try your own reflections mm-hmm. and hear and other opinions on it. And then uh, y- I think you contextualize more and more how things really work by hearing different angles on the same problem. Mm-hmm. Because it, w- one of my key takeaways is that the fundamental problems that we are co- circling around are fairly fundamental headaches that we all have in mm-hmm. different ways. But we have we go about them in different ways uh, my role is slightly this or your role is slightly that, but it comes back to sort of some of the fundamentals that we are to crack the code of doing this in a more structured or in, I would call it industrialized way or a factory way that seems to be very hard. Mm. And, 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 um, and 
I've been able to bring these conversations back. I, I have already noticed how they have shaped me in my rhetoric mm. that I have used professionally. Mm. I mean, like, yeah. I, even even yeah. I was really proud when you talked about uh, the hearing, or wait, not the hearing, when you went to the parliament and mm. talked about this. And actually, a couple of key, but you know, and key new words that almost we start. I mean, like it's not our words, but we really at least push them. Yeah. The, the, the data and AI divide. Yes. I don't know anyone who has said it more explicit than we have. Yeah. Uh, and it's the, playing on the world for the digital divide, but now going into another dimension version of it. Saying, yeah, like but it's, it's the digital divide. divide is something else. Yeah. I, actually, data and, I actually googled AI divide, hmm. and it's written um, what is called completely. Different, uh, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit more general and fluffy. It's basically just basically divide between different capabilities. But yeah, and, 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 uh, and not defined. But we, we have sort of called out the fundamental macro problem. And, and the point is this. I've had uh, uh, with Christian, Grunf uh, Christian Rasmussen in Grunfos, when I started Daredax, so one of the passions behind starting the company and why we want to be, build a peer-to-peer -peer community and all this kind of stuff that he was very much instrumental in founding I met a soulmate in terms of saying, I mean, like, I, I want to build a good business. I want to work with this. But I think this is of societal concern that if, our, if we don't de deal with this properly now, the job market, the, you know, if you get disrupted by someone else, is so much worse for society. And so, so for me, that data and AI divide, the way we have framed it, mm -hmm. literally, has been with me since I started Daredax. And, and so I, th I think we have sort of taken and really called out the big pink elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows it, right? But uh, I think we, to do it, talk like this is good. And then also the prototype graveyard. Yeah, that's an awesome topic. And, and by the way, you need airplanes. Yes. You need to put pilots in the airplane to make yeah. them fly. So that was the joke. Oh, ah, see, you need to move from prototype to pilot, right? Yeah. Air, then it becomes an airplane. So airplane yeah. community good. is founded mm. on one topic. How do we move away from the prototype graveyard? Mm. And it was a joke when we did the first, you know, how do we build this community? What's, what, why, you know, what should we call it? And then Christian said, oh, we should call it, call it airplane. Yeah. We have too many pilots flying around in Grunfos. We yeah. need, to put them in an airplane to make them fly. Mm. Oh, and, the, and then afterward, we did, we did the acronym, uh, AI Ready Production in a Lean Agile Networked Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the, that was the joke yeah, afterwards. Awesome. I mean, it, it connects to one of the, uh, I think, yeah, mottos that we heard a number of times, like commit to deploy. All right, right? Oh, no, let's go here now. What's the t-shirts, <laughs> you know? So what's the key statements? Well, now we're, yeah. we're almost getting into the key takeaways and into the key statements. Should we go yeah. there now? Uh, I think it was a yeah, memorable statements or... Yeah, memorable statements. Yes. And, 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 and then I, I asked, I, I don't know if you like it, but I, I love, I, I love, you know, what, what was the statements we would, could put on a t-shirt, right? That was yeah. just sort of the framing, right? Yeah. And then let's, let's start with, I think this is the best almost. Yeah. I mean, it connects to airplane. You yeah. Know, and uh, the prototype graveyard that we heard now a number of times, both in the parliament discussions yeah. that we had and, and in other situations. Uh, and just to, to contextualize it, which yeah. I'm not always so good at, but I um, can try to do is that you know you have a lot of companies that say that they want to use AI. You have a lot of companies that say that they do use AI. But when you really look into it, what they mainly do is uh, potentially having a plan for it, potentially building a prototype, potentially actually building a prototype that provides value, but 
very, very few, if any, very few at least, are actually moving from a prototype into a pilot of production. And, and that is a big problem uh, and something that the tech giants are really good at, but most other companies fail at. So how to get away from the prototype graveyard, one way could be simply commit to deploy. Yeah, and, and um, who f- who said it? That uh, it was Luca, you know, Luca Peltorio, CEO. He would like, he yeah. was like, and then when I heard that, that's a T-shirt. And I asked, <laughs> I asked Anders, how would you s- write commit to deploy in Python? How yeah, would you how I would sh- you do I should, it? I should fix that. You, and I need that T-shirt, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I love that. Yeah, I mean, simply, I mean, I think one way to to just explain what it means is to say, you know, you, you sometimes think too long. You wait too long to try it out in real. But by actually putting it in production and deploying it, you start getting data from what people actually do like or companies do like. And it's only when you start to do that in a very like fast, iterative, agile way that you actually can build something that works. Yeah. So simply deploy fast and often. Yeah, f- deploy fast and often. But let's now continue to contextualize Mm. and we've commit to deploy into other conversations we had because there is another angle on this that is almost equally important. Mm. And it it relates back to the conversation we had with Lale and to understand, you know, we always, uh, with Lars Albertson, we talked about the the picture, the classical picture with the machine learning piece is just this little piece. And then you have all the different things you need in your your tech stack to make Mm. it work in production. The problem when you're doing pilots is you're trivializing what is really the hard stuff. Yeah, the supporting so, system. Yeah, around. so the supporting infrastructure and setup to uh, f- around the use case lifecycle to actually take something out of uh, prototype or, or notebook style into uh, yeah. uh, production style, which then for me, uh, and I'm, now I'm going to keep selling, right? When we created Airplane, we basically, one of the founding ideas is that how does the common lingo and ways of working look like if we don't take a prototype approach? Mm-hmm. But if I, from the beginning, understand, I always have a use case lifecycle, you know, f- fairly, very much f- founded on Eric Rice, lean startup philosophy to, to iterate, uh, to iterate fast. Mm-hmm. And pivot, and how do I do that? If 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 I'm all everything I start has the potential to become a unicorn feature, right? Everything has. When I start something, it should have the idea and potential to go to production. But I should then weed out my bad ideas early, right? But it basically it's a different mindset how you build projects when you say I need to think about production environment or how to maintain and operate my algorithm mm-hmm. from the beginning. And this is to me commit to deploy mm. that you actually also you 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 yes we need to start small mm. yes we need to do the right stuff we can't do the big we shouldn't do the big bang that's not what I'm saying mm. but it's the mindset that we are iterating to production yeah go to the end in the beginning yeah <laughs> that's a, sound like a con, like a contradiction in terms but it, it really doesn't yeah. uh, I mean if you if you take a lot of junior data scientists, you know, they think, you know, it's so easy to use AI. You just, you know, follow a QS tutorial and you build a model and that's it. You know, how hard can it be? And so many people underestimate the, the amount of work you have to do to truly operationalize AI. Mm. And the only way to really figure that out and learn how to make it better is take to your- very quickly move it into some real Perhaps not fully productionized, but at least something that interacts with the rest of the systems and, and the users. Yeah, and, and also, let's take another angle on commit to deploy. If what you are playing around with is not so 
needed or useful so you have a sponsor that are mm. willing to change their process and use it in everyday life mm. why the hell are you spending money on it yeah. Th- then it, then it's a playground and yeah. and this is also uh, goes into the problem with incubators and all that and mm. we the real business is working on these problems this is what the pnl owner wants mm. and here we are now with the pseudo manager of a director of the ai mm. and he doesn't really connect to the pnl problem yeah that's, yeah. So yeah, many I wish more people to had, uh, to had the experience of, of really trying to work with an already productionized system and seeing, you know, okay, I have the system, it's the first version, now I want to improve it. And I see all these problem, problems happening. Mm. And that type of experience is very few, few people that have. Yeah. And the more that get that type of experience yeah. by committing to deploy, yeah. I think will be a huge benefit to so many companies. Yeah. Good. Mm? Next, next quote. Are we done with that quote? Yeah. Fairly good. Yeah, I think so. The AI divide, I guess we already covered that. Oh, how do so we make a ways. t-shirt out of that? So we put We're A and then a speed divide and I and then in between. Yeah, but we also need to make, you know, and it has to be in you know, a fight AI divide, you know, uh, skate or die, you know, AI divide. Uh, fight, you know, uh, the non-smoking generation. You know, it has to be I, something I like that. I have an idea, but uh, we will take this after. <laughs> in the after, after work. In after uh, work. But the AI divide. For, for me? Mine, mine. I think that is uh, what's your first principle. All right, hmm? because I be, yeah, I think that this was uh, amazing this that we pick one. up because I think it's it's. Uh, we discussed a lot of topics as well, how to uh, build a startup and all these other things mm. as well, which I believe that is very important. But um, and we have I have seen this so many times organizing these conferences where basically organizations are are buying technology like it's a. It's almost this mentality of like, I need to buy a Maserati because my neighbor has a Porsche. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you know the, the other neighbor comes and asks you like, yeah, but why did you buy, you know, the Maserati? You don't even have like a, you know, driving's license. Where are you planning to go? So if you don't have ambition, you don't have the driving's license, but you just bought a Maserati, you just basically buy, bought an item and a debt, nothing else. And you follow the norm. Exactly. Yeah. You follow the hype yes. because it's important. It's your ego that is actually buying it. It's mm-hmm. not your sense. And, and here we come back to what, what is also frustrating with the industry that we are selling on hype and yes. instead of selling on what really matters. or we, we are, And it's not that the tech is wrong, mm-hmm. it's that we're entering into the topic. We're not with the first principle of basic yeah. understanding for what we're trying to do. Yeah, but, Well, I mean, you cannot blame the, the industry because the industry has been, uh, their purpose is to learn how to sell. So if somebody is basically buying the technology to get the guilt out, then that's mm-hmm. what is you gonna sell. It's 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 sad that that way of selling yes, works. Yes, exactly. By the way. That is how it works. So it's it is how it is. And uh, but my point with with uh, what is your first principle is actually how many of these data science AI projects are actually done with a meaningful, true first principle? Mm-hmm. What are you trying to uh, accomplish? Okay, uh, why uh, are you using this data? You know, where where are you going with this? We d- had this discussion with Daniel, right? Yeah. Um, um, with Gabriel. No, with Daniel. Oh, I with think. Several. Daniel, Daniel Lewis. Daniel, Daniel Lewis is talking about And I think it's this. really, really important because it applies to, if you're starting a startup, why are you doing it? Mm. Okay. When you started the Dare Ducks, you were discussing like if somebody wakes you up or somebody basically um, says in a, in a bar, you know, hey, Henrik, where are you working for? Where are you working? And then you need to explain, hey, you know, I work for Dare Ducks. And then in 120 words, you need to explain 
what are you actually doing? What's the and first that, principle? And that is your first principle. So, which is hard, still, still hard. To exactly. Put on paper, so, if, I must tell you. So, if you, if you, if you take like any type of a AI project, uh, anything that is, uh, it's like, uh, and ask them like, what is your, what are you trying to accomplish? Mm. And if you cannot explain that in, in 120 words, probably is not a bit good idea either. Um, and to take uh, to take one step further, it's not about the data scientist building the project. It's actually the CEO of the company seeing where he is going. Because this is very important and we've named many times and I think that David Dune and many other, we have basically right now a gap between data illiterate leaders trying to lead a companies mm. into a data and AI economy. Yeah. And some of them are humble to learn and some, some of them have not even went to the elements of AI because that is beyond uh, below their belt. Yeah. And until we have leaders like that, that have zero vision about what is their true first principle and apply that to the AI technological development or era that we are working with, we are going to continue to have a problem. So yeah. it's not the AI divide that is a problem, it's the leggers and the people that are actually leading them. Yeah, yeah I, sure. I, I agree because how many times do we work on the new you know, we need to do AI, but but why do we need to do AI? And and, and what? how are you really fundamentally rethinking yeah. your process rather than someone is sort of adding a little sugar on top of the analog uh, way? I hate, you know, so many people saying, you know, they are working with AI and they try to like sprinkle AI on sugar some existing on uh, like business process. But in reality, they're just doing it for the hype and not for truly believing and understanding what the potential truly are. And that, I think, is a fundamental problem of so many companies today. Yeah, we talked about this even in, 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 uh, in Scania. Uh, uh, let me share how we talked about how do you set up goals and targets with the, with the, with the 10x ambition. So another way of putting it, if, if, like, if, you don't, if you truly want to do first principle, it is that you're trying to do something fundamentally different and better. So as, as long as we yeah, work... you should define it properly. Uh, you know, we, we talked about it a number of times, but just for people that don't understand. Uh, yeah, it is, uh, yeah, now we, to, that tunes into this. Okay, let's, let's yeah. start there then. Yeah. And yeah, we, we usually speak about Elon Musk in very positive terms, and he's not always doing everything right, but he's doing a lot of things right and can certainly sell in a good way. But uh, I think in one way to phrase it is, you know, to have the courage to, to do something that goes against the norm, not the normal way of doing things. And, and solve, solve things by truly understand the core principles, the first principles of physics or of business of, or technology or whatnot. But understanding what the core principles are is essential to be able to solve something with first principles yeah. in and, mind. And, mm-hmm. and um, examples is always good to yeah. contextualize. Yeah, 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 and then yeah. let me try to do it okay. this time. Awesome. Because you usually do it. Yes. I mean, like we have two, uh, if you look at YouTube, you can find uh, Elon talking about first principle around, around Tesla. Mm or around SpaceX is the, is the best yeah. examples. Yeah. So one YouTube clip, he basically says, first, he used the word first principle, which is actually an, a, a philosophical term yes. first. But what he means then is like basically looking at how is batteries made and why does batteries cost, you know, $100 per kilowatt hours, I don't know, the, the KPI. And he, he he pulls down the construct and looking at the raw material and says like, it should not, it should only cost $10. And then mm-hmm. understanding how can we do the process so we do not end up at $80 per battery, but $15. Mm-hmm. And, and the same goes with SpaceX. 
hmm, we are shooting up rockets and, and basically we are crashing the rockets and we are burning, we are crashing the fuel tanks of the rockets and they are, they are 90% of what the rockets is all about in cost. So what, what if we can land the rockets so we can re- reuse the fuel tanks? Yeah. And, and, you know, so re- fundamentally rethinking the, the core problem. And, and it goes with his, you know, with his other, uh, but, you know, but and this is first principle. We can go a little bit home with this. IKEA. Yeah, IKEA did this. Simple. Mm-hmm. They, they rethought, Ingrid like, Kampra applied first principle to the furniture industry. Exactly. That's what it did. So I think that we don't have to discuss that much. You just think about IKEA and that's it. Yeah. You, remove the, the, you remove the assembly line, remove everything you make happiness to people because they can build frustration as well sometimes. Mm-hmm. I have actually screwed the, my entire yeah. cabinet to the, to the floor. Um, twice, mm-hmm. but but let's let what you know. Let, let us. I want to put the frame now. Why has first principle made such an impact and co- in, on this podcast so far? I mean, like we have talked about it a lot. My take on that is that what we are dealing with now, when we coming into a data and AI society, is this classical topic that we have different types of domains: mm-hmm. offentlia sector, public sector, your car manufacturer, energy. And then you have a fundamental other domain of data and AI. You know, f- you know, if in the simplest term, the way I see the future world is that the, the new world companies is going to live in this intersect. This is the classical Venn diagram. You can mm. you can make it with two or three, but if in simplest term, domain versus data AI capability, and where we now, if I now take this new domain of data and AI. And I truly think first principle of the domain problem, mm. what does that then become? I mean, it goes back to also, you know, how do we really accelerate AI in a good way? And then, you know, domain experts, you know, they, they understand, you know, if f- how a floor grinder machine works yes. or how um, radi- works, how, how radiology, you know, experts how energy can works. A, yeah, a, a treatment plan for cancer patients and energy for sure, you know, uh, and so forth. And building the, a truck. The, the problem then is this kind of catch-22 problem that domain experts don't understand AI and AI experts don't understand the domain. This is what is happening. The new future, we our companies will, you know, will emerge whether you like it or not. Hmm. So the option you have then, if you have this kind of catch-22 where, where you, know, you don't understand AI or you don't understand domain, you, you have two choices. Either you, perhaps more, but at least you can think of two choices, which is either you learn all the domains to the data scientists, or you learn AI to the domain experts. Now, the problem with, you know, the first one is that, of course, it's not scalable for people to know all the domains. You can't know everything about finance. You can't know uh, know everything about sales, about manufacturing, about some product, and so forth. So that's not scalable. The other problem, you know, teaching AI to domain experts is that AI is hard, and tooling is horrible today, especially for the latest AI. So if we can make um, AI more accessible to people, then we do truly have the ability to accelerate AI. And if we can enable AI for domain experts, the scale and acceleration we can see for AI, I think is immense. So I think that's the best way forward. And that can truly you know, make first principle thinking work because then you have the domain expert that understand the the core principles, the first principles, oh, exactly, and apply AI. To but it. I, I, let me let me disagree. Ah, okay. And I, I and I don't disagree. I, I disagree. You should to disagree now. Yes, because Good. in my point, this is one 
part of the puzzle. Yeah. And this is one part of the solution, which is essentially then saying, uh, we need to go on a journey to simplify and, and to um, you know make this uh, technology usable by domain expert. Mm. And and um, I went to a Gartner conference. Uh, you used to say this, this is true and this is correct, but then I will disagree. Yeah. Is they I at the Gartner conference by the way <laughs> a couple of years back, the, the opening keynote was about how do we go from scarcity to abundance. And then we highlighted uh, the example was uh, we um, we have a uh, we have uh, an abundance of data, but an s- scarcity of valuable insights in production. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the topic was you know what are the mechanisms that allows us to go from scarcity to abundance? Mm-hmm. And, and then the example that uh, I have highlighted, and I even did this talk on on the data innovation stage. If you you can find it on on, on YouTube is that if you take the internet example, and you know how internet was created even, se- I don't know if it's in the mid 70s, the, the DARPA net yep, and all that exactly. kind of stuff. And what is, and, and if you would ask the normal person, the normal Joe, when did internet come? Mm-hmm. And we will all say, ah, oh, it was around 95, 96, mm-hmm. because that's when we as normal people remember the Netscape browser, stuff like this. Yeah, right? but the web also was born then. So in some sense, I think it's, it no, is also correct to say, you know, when something becomes popular, that's truly when something starts you know, to happen. But so. let, let me make the point. So the point was at some point here, it wasn't green screen and you needed to code and be able to to put the, the prompts in, but you actually went to a GUI for, for as a web browser, mm. the whole web was invented. So all of a sudden what happens is that you, you create a, a, a simplified technology or experience that allows them, as, as this example. Enabling technology. In enabling sense. technology, or you, you know, hiding the complexity of the technology yeah. for the user to use it, which is essentially yes. the, what you are saying. Yeah. Now, I think this is one thing that we need to push on for, and I applaud Paltorion mm-hmm. for doing this work. But I equally think also the way I've talked about this is that uh, we don't need to have data literacy uh, from the um, domain expert, and we don't need to have uh, domain expertise uh, from the data scientist we need to have new core literacy. So we need to basically understand that ultimately the whole organizational setup, so irregardless of what you do with your tech stack, the fundamental IT operating model has changed. So when you when your core process is not an analog process anymore, but it's, it's uh, automated first. Mm-hmm. And we understand the way we work is, is like, uh, you had uh, automation of muscle power, uh, production lines, industrialization. But it is automation by data still, right? Yeah, yeah, automation. So if, if I contrast, we, yeah. we're talking about I automation. Have a, I have a automation, question. No, automation of brain power will mean that people will not physically move data. We will work in different roles. So actually what roles you have in, in the company will change. So regardless when it happens, and Peltorion is part of that journey to make this happen, it has fundamentally shifted your organizational structure anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's not sufficient with uh, no. changing tools. It's no. so much more that's that what I'm trying. That was my the organizational change. And that was my disagreement. So, yes. So yeah. my question but to you, agree with you so, then, so. to both of you, is, nice. is uh, my question to both of you, is this a short-term solution or it's a long-term solution? So what you are saying is that basically neither, the data scientist doesn't have to be a domain specific. 
And the domain specific doesn't have to be data literate or a data scientist. So I, I, but if you combine them together, you get a competence no, that you can actually, is that what you said? I'm saying like this, by nature of force, the technology will be, the complexity will be hidden. So in the end, you, are, you need to understand what the what the Monte Carlo simulation is or what a C- CNN does, but you don't need to code it. Mm. Th- that's a fundamental technical trend that has been going on in everything to, to make usability yeah. clearly, right? It's still not enough. And it doesn't, you know, if any companies out there sits and says, you know what, this is too complex. So I'm not going to try it the hard way. I'm going to wait until Praetorian software is ready in five years and then I will try it. Fuck that, I say. Mm. So because equally, you need to work on the operational setup. My my point with this is You need to start work. Basically, we need to start with the most complex tools. Yes, they will be more simple. We need to start working in a different way in cross-functional teams. We need to have a common lingo. So if, if these guys speak Python and these guys who are doctors speak Latin, we kind of need to in invest in a common yes. lingo my, and my start working cross-functional anyway. Is this a long-term anyway. solution or is it a short-term solution? Short-term, now, you need, right now, right. you need to understand that this is a cross-functional problem. Then we, there, th- there, is then not a, a, there is not a business process and data process anymore. Mm. They are converging. Yes. And the sooner you start working according to that idea, whatever that is, however uh, exit or shitty it is, you are learning and becoming data and AI ready and okay. you will just accelerate it when the te- tool set and technologies get better. So, so That's I believe my that opinion. All, both of you are correct, but he is talking about the short-term solution that we need to have right now in a place because centralized data science doesn't work for most of the organization and the future is in decentralized, mm-hmm. basically having domain experts with data scientists, machine learning data engineers and et cetera. And what you are saying is what is the long-term, I believe, vision is having the... Mm-hmm. I don't know, no? actually. They are both. I, I think actually you can. I think it's very dangerous to say that you should have wait for a centralized solution to be finished before you start no, using it. No, no, AI. no, no. I, I, I think that what if I understood you correctly, you are saying that you give the AI tool to the domain expert. Yes. Okay. And that is the long term. No, it's not that long term. I can give you an example. But let me rephrase it another okay, way. Good. Okay, good. Uh, one way, you know, we, we have this big, um, you know, research project uh, working with building up a Swedish language model for Swedish authorities. And, and we had this big reference group meeting with all Swedish authorities last week. And, you know, we said, you know, we can provide some data. We can provide some data or some, some models. But then, you know, we started to think, you know, but... For people, you know, in some, for example, Swedish authority, like tax authority, they're actually really good. So that's yeah, they good. Are quite good. But uh, you can take Bolasverket or you can take whatever kind of authority you can think of. We want to enable, you know, AI and, and data readiness for them. Mm. And then it's not enough to, to provide the data. It's not enough to provide, provide a model. It's not mm. enough to provide the code to do that. What you need to have is, for one, to have like a set of like best practices of how really to do this, You're giving and, them the business, and the yeah. business understanding of how do you actually bring value into your business for doing so. That is so often forgotten, and mm-hmm. I think you know someone says, "Yeah, I published it on GitHub. Mm-hmm. It's done. Now you use it." Exactly. That Doesn't is work. not enough, and I think you know if you so can start is, combining is, all, so all these things. Now, now we are converging into the so discussion. And, and, and so you're, you're providing them a Maserati, but they don't have a driver's license. And, and here, exactly. And yes. here is yes. this is why you also he's too humble, right? Mm. Why do you ask me and Anders to sit in this podcast? Because ultimately, 
I'm trying to crack the idea around orchestration. That, that is what my head the last seven years has been around. How does this operating model really works? Mm-hmm. And, and how do I, I, I used to joke and, and people who know me knows I, I use this both in Vattenfall and, and Scania. And I sometimes say it's like, well, what do you do? Well, I'm Don Quixote. I like to fight weather mills. I, I, I get a kick out of fighting weather mills. So I'm, I'm, I'm going into why are we organizing and orchestrating our IT supply, uh, you know, data scientists and business in this way? Why are we separating them? You know, why aren't we working in a similar use, you know, which is very, very down fundamental to, you know, uh, the agile team. And, and if you've been in a company like Spotify, you don't, you know, this is not a problem, right? Oh, there were a lot of problems there mm. as well. But, no, yeah. but, but, but it's nothing yeah, in comparison to, yes, to sure. an analog company yeah, sure. that is trying to have IT. And yeah. they, it's essentially an, it's a com- it's an analog company which is computerized on top. Yeah, it's a uh, lift and shift there as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so and, and you now, and, 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 and I have my, this is my understanding. And, and, and when you take me down the journey in your beautiful world with Call to Me or something like that, mm. I, I don't know shit of what you are talking about in detail, mm. but I, I know enough to follow it. Yeah. But I think it, it really accentuates these things need to merge. I need to learn more and more and more about this space. Mm. And the data scientists who are, you know, geeky in the process of data science actually needs to understand the operating governance model of their company. Mm. But I think, you know, what, what really needs to happen to have this inflection point yes. where AI becomes of value mm. yes. is when people that are not data scientists yes. that doesn't understand the, you know, intrinsic or whatever kind of technical thing starts to understand the potential yeah. that AI and data can provide and start to understand know how to actually do that how and to implement the, and that. this and is the, that, when that happens yes then we will see an inflection point yeah. and this is the abundance mechanism yeah mm-hmm. and, and for that reason i think what you are talking about is fundamentally the right way to go with yeah. super hard effort to Long simplify time. to do that yeah, because tooling is one thing it's not the only thing but i think it's a super important enabling thing yes. but not sufficient yeah so but but and and i would say i mean i i, I have another pet you know we, we rant mm. We, we talk in Sweden about op, op, open data. Yeah. And I say... What open data? I mean, like, yeah. in, in the public sector, we say, are we going to spend a lot of time, yeah, we're going to make data yeah, open. Yeah, but what open data? Yeah, and, and then the, the point is this. If you understand concepts like data mesh or, or building data products, to have open data is not the point. This is one point that it's available, and but but then it's the process. How is this data servable? How is it yeah, searchable? But, uh, How is the operating model going to work around? Yeah, that? but the open data is basically like self-driving vehicles, right? The capability is here, but until you build the lane for self-driving vehicles, the self-driving vehicles trend can never go because you cannot mix self-driving vehicles with humans. Yeah. So, so what I'm trying to so say is like you don't it, create the path. This is a key You're ingredient. Just a car. What is enabler a technology, enabler, open data that we have data we can use is a key enabler. Mm. But you need to have the glue. You need to have something exactly. okay. that I think allows. It's it my to time work. to disagree a bit here as oh, well. Thank right? you. <laughs> I, I need to quote Ingo Pass. Uh, okay. He says, like uh, he said this very well. It's um, it's time for us to invest in building highways and infrastructure of paths. The rest of it, it will come. And I think that we mm-hmm. are doing differently. We are building cars, we are building Maseratis, but we don't build the 
pavements. We don't build the infrastructure yeah. around it. Yeah, and but for me, for me, the infrastructure topic. Yeah, let, let, let's disagree. Yeah. Yeah. We are on uh, two ten, and yeah. I have two more things that I need to cover <laughs> in this. Okay. No, but just a quick comment on that. I think it's really dangerous if we become dependent on open data. Yeah. I think you know what we really need to do to accelerate AI is to enable closed data. And I would say we will see an inflection point and acceleration in AI the time that we have techniques and that understanding, but primarily techniques to actually work with closed data in a good way. And there are a lot of things like ferret learning, et cetera, that enables that. So if we instead can stop focusing so much on open data, which EU is doing, mm. and start enabling techniques to work with closed data set, we will see an acceleration. But, 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 you, weren't, but you weren't disagreeing with me here. I was making the open data example to highlight that even if we have open data, yeah. we still need to have the highways and the infrastructure and the processes and ways of working to be able to share data. But I, I think I, I, I think disagree in the same poor way uh, that you disagreed with me. I want to disagree with some more energy. I believe that I believe because that I we can the, 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 to have closed data that can interact or find yeah. yeah. I have to start basically yeah. doing a closure of this. Good uh, one. Yes. Um, from my point I would like to conclude this session with uh, Carl Tomé uh, said like I think that a couple of uh, years from now everybody needs to know how to do ML or something like that otherwise their job or whatever mm. it is is red it will become yes. a ubiquitous like, natural thing of any kind of product. Which uh, comes to, um, we didn't have a uh, chance to, to present actually our mission statement, but I think that we will do that a little bit later on. Right now, what I would like to do is very short, mm. three trends that you think it will happen in 2021. That you see, trends that you see emerging. Yeah, uh, yeah. Should, should I start a bit? Um, I don't have a structured and prioritized list here in any way, but I think it's it's hard to, to speak about these things without bringing up Corona. Yes. If you're looking at from a technical point of view, yeah, where I, Corona doesn't have, and this is your area. Now you, so this you, is your area, right? Don't, so don't limit. No, don't limit yeah. him. Okay, don't limit him. Okay. Don't, don't fuck it. Don't okay. limit him. Okay, fine. No, but Corona, of course, you know, is, is disruptive in, in many ways and, and has, you know, forced companies to change the way they work and forced companies to change business models and, you know, has... You know, killed a lot of companies and will continue to have an extreme economical impact. And we have lost a lot of jobs. You know, it's been a truly disruptive uh, event, if you call it that. In some way, people call AI an ad- disruptive event. It will change the jobs uh, and it will create new jobs, hopefully more, which Gartner and other things at least. And it will disrupt, you know, the way you work. It disrupts the business model you have. So in some way, these kind of disruptions, the question is then, can we find some kind of symbiosis between them? I think we can. And I think, you know, we we have already seen that, you know, we had a number of AI use cases for detecting, for example, corona outbreak, like blue dot, etc. But it wasn't really taken seriously and it wasn't really used. So, you know, we couldn't really detect corona in time. We couldn't really use AI that much for like drug discovery. And uh, it was actually exceptional how quickly we actually were or are able to build up a vaccine. But it still, you know, take, took a lot of time and resources to do so. And now we've seen, you know, after the event, you know, with AlphaFold 2, etc., that, you know, AI can be an immensely useful tool to more quickly be able to discover drugs and medicines for, for different uh, diseases. 
And, you know, I think, you know, also if you see the extreme, you know, workload that we are seeing in healthcare in these days, um, obviously AI can be a very, very useful tool to simply make the whole, you know, administrative processes that a lot of doctors and nurses have to do today so much more uh, efficient. And then speaking about the whole economy and everything, you know, you can speak about this in, in so many terms. But I think this is actually a good opportunity even though Corona was obviously very, very uh, sad from from so many viewpoints. But the the way that we have forced to disrupt the whole society because of this, and also digitalize actually a lot of companies, because they need to go online, for example, um, has actually enabled a bit more companies to start the journey to become more data and AI ready. So I hope, uh, you know, for one, we know that hopefully the next outbreak, the next pandemic that may happen, perhaps we can detect it before it actually does mm. become a pandemic. Perhaps we can, you know, if we start to really analyze it, start making use of all the progress that happened just recent months and year in, in AI to find medicines more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Perhaps companies can start to transform and build up processes in healthcare or whatnot, or transportation or so many other things, that is more sustainable, that does have an, even have a chance to, to work with you know, disruptions like this. I think this is uh, an awesome opportunity and we should really think about you know, combining these efforts to have a more pandemic-safe future. And I but, think we have that opportunity. But pull it down to the trends. Mm. What is the trends for... I mean, I, so, tw- so if we summarize 2020... Mm. Digitalization actually was all about collaboration online in, in a simple way. It's, mm. it's one key aspect. It was not. Yeah. I mean, like the way, I mean, like we... It uh, was not. It I, was basically going through, cutting to everything that it was nice to have. I, I put it in another way. Was needed to w- do. W- which one was the most used words in 2020? Corona? No, no. Uh, Unmute. Unmute. <laughs> 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 no, I, I think the collaboration you, was you, definitely a, a major factor there. But I think that what uh, 2020 showed quite well is that, so in 2019, you remember we were talking about the 2020 is going to be a very big paradigm shift. And the reason why we believe, me and uh, Hendrik, that it will be so that we we thought like uh, the end of the, the, the pioneering, the pioneering or, or experimentation is over and that we are moving to a industrialization decade. decade. And, and Corona now so has co- he in some ways. Yeah, so, so the, yeah, the Corona basically it was an inhibitor that pushed a uh, catal- uh, catalyzer. catalyzer. Yeah, that basically pushed a little bit further. But the idea was that we started NDSML and data innovation five years ago, right? When it was only 900 true data scientists that are right now called machine learning mm. um, experts and etc. And so companies mm. have been investing for five years into pilot projects. With the prototype graveyard and okay. all the stuff we talked about. So after five years, you start like thinking like, okay, where is the... Where is the ROI? Yes. Okay. So, and it was obvious that in October last year, organizations start, started to do that because you can see how the people start moving from one company to another. There is a reshifting. There is like a remodeling in the company. There is new divisions creating like head of AI division, head of this and that. That means that they are right now looking into, aha, okay, this was good. This was not good. This is how we need to go. And especially companies like Scania, like uh, Ericsson, et cetera, they are companies that are invest. They do not invest in pilots. They invest in excellence. Mm. That is the Toyota Lean Sigma that uh, Lale was talking and then Statoil, yeah. and et cetera. Lean, so these are companies. 
companies that take things seriously. Corner. When they invest in a, in, a, in a subject, they invest in order for them to excel in the subject. Mm-hmm. And the five, first, uh, five years, you know, where we're we gonna put them, how we're we gonna put them, who's gonna lead them. Well, this was not working out. Now, 2020 was supposed to, and we had like a even preparation for the data innovation speech and et cetera, where we were talking about, this is what is gonna happen this year. Mm-hmm. And then Corona hit. And this was just basically obvious in a one mm. second. I mean, it's basically, I think, that Corona forced companies yes. and society to commit to deploy. Yes, yes. yes. Right? Okay. Now that is <laughs> okay. the now. real trend. The now real trend now is summarized by commit to deploy. Yes. The companies who goes into 2021 and hasn't understood the concept of the prototype graveyard mm. and hasn't started in another mindset, they will not survive. Is that mm. simple? Yeah. And I th- I see this very very clearly. I, let, let me take a Scania example. It's a bit personal, but uh, fuck it. I mean, like Scania is doing a great journey, and they've been working with uh, with data platform, uh, data lake, stuff like this. And in, in a nutshell, they have some of the most amazing projects. In a, and now I'm talking huge projects around elect- electrification, autonomous vehicles. But if I look at Scania still as, as, as a data and AI ready company, is this an enterprise capability mm. or is it truly, a, a, is it project capabilities or even uh, sub team capabilities? And Scania has been pushing, you know, they are changing. This is a good example. That's what I'm driving it because I think it, it resonates with what Vattenfall is doing. And it, but this is now very close to my heart where I'm burning for. Scania knows and understands that they are part of a transport ecosystem. They understand that th- there is a paradigm shift on how the whole business model will look like, uh, what what uh, transport is all about, and, and then what is a transport manufacturer, you know, truck manufacturer all about. So they've been knowing about this topic. They've been working on this topic uh, uh, deliberately with big investments, but, but I really sense that the first years also in this sense has been pioneering years. And, and no one knows exactly what the transport ecosystem will be. No one knows exactly how the energy ecosystem will look like. But that it becomes an ecosystem, it's clear. That they need to have data around it, it's clear. And I think now they have been talking about a lot of stuff and they have been doing projects-wise certain stuff. But I think now... It's a super, super exciting time to be working with Scania right now because I feel the sense of urgency. I feel the passion and the drive to go to 2.0 in in all the stuff we're doing. So if I take the data lake and the data platform team, we need to do 2.0 on this. If I take data governance and the data management team, they have been working great for five years, but they they are moving in. they, They are really actually... They are doing first principle on themselves. And I'm getting goosebumps when I say that. So, the, uh, the, By the way, that is your t-shirt. Yeah. P- goosebumps. Goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> I, I say that a couple of times. Yes. But, but, but what I mean is like you, they were not ready to do the next gear one, two, three years ago. No. But everything is sort of lining up now. And, and with Corona as a catalyst, 
and they have been having some golden arrow projects where basically we need to have this to have understanding of the market now, you fix it, and then in super short time, fixing really cool stuff, analytics that they've been working on and stuff like that. You know, so something is happening with the, where, where sort of the, I emphasize from pioneering to industrialization, the timing, the way we define that, Goran, is right. And the catalyst of COVID just put that even more to yes. the map. And I see, feel that sense of urgency. And I think Petronella proved it also. She yes. highlighted, we're not talking about the cloud, we are doing it. Uh, and, and the maturity of how the conversations are two years ago to now, something has shifted right in 2020. Yes. Good. But, um, but just to summarize that, I think, you know, in 2021, I think people have realized and companies have realized we can transform quickly. Mm. Mm. So I think a clear trend will be we have learned from Corona that we that can we can do it. We can commit to deploy. Commit to deploy. So then, you know, continue to do that in a much faster pace than we've ever seen before to become more data and AI driven. Okay. That's clear. Do you want any tech trends? Did you want that in so order to get some let, good CEO search and optimization stuff here? So I want to make it very sharpen. Uh, and I think it's uh, it's uh, actually... Uh, because let's talk about a couple of tech trends, really. No, I, I cannot do tech trends. I can also just... Uh, so my job as a, as, a, as, a, as a company that is actually a bystander and just looking at trends. Mm-hmm. And trends, especially when it comes to ego of companies and uh, movement of people. Um, and when I say ego, ego is a good thing. It's a, it's a basically, it's an aspiration. No. Um, and I would like to connect this with Anders. So these are my four things. And we have been working, me and uh, Ivana, who is uh, editorial at uh, Read Channel at Hyperite, on this. Uh, the first one is hyper automation. Mm-hmm. Is basically we uh, we think that in 2021 we will see a very very quick adoption of AI machine learning practices into um, and good use cases across departments and companies. Mm-hmm. And I think that this has been cooking for a long time. And it's basically an impact of what we said, like a process of indus- uh, experimentation to decade of industrialization. And this year has been very experimental for many organizations and they have learned how to work on a skunk work type of environment when they are not together, but still they need to deploy. And I think that is super great. And it's basically, like you said, like they can they can uh, transform very quickly. That yeah. is basically okay. also the hyper automation across industries and across divisions and functions, I think. Yeah. The second one, this is basically the implication of the first one. It's the deficit of talent and the word for talent. Yeah. Yes. Because uh, we have been getting uh, quite a lot of calls from uh, friends and companies and etc. to fi- either find a c- talent or to recommend somebody and etc. And I believe this is going to be much more obvious and it's uh, something that we predicted as well last year. And I think we're going to see it throughout the decade and that is uh, training and repurposing of skill set because the universities are not capable of producing those mm. on the right way. So I will need to connect this on, on uh, Athir uh, who was here. Mm. Uh, saying that basically research is all about money. I believe the talent is all about money. And it's we need to change in Sweden and in the Nordics. Now, I don't know about the Nordics, but in Sweden, we need to change the, the, the whole specter of how do we basically attract talent into this country. 
Och everything from uh, socialdepartementet, arbetsförmedlingen, all of the social security numbers, you know. It's very difficult for people right now to find uh, places to stay or yeah. to get into this, uh, you know, working environment. And we are basically shooting ourselves in the foot if we don't attract this talent. I believe VASP is doing a great thing to attract talent so they can see mm. that this is potential. On the research point. Yes, side, yes. on the research. But we need to get more people in. And I think that people are hungry. And yeah. we, uh, we as a hybrid, we will work on this in 2020. But, but, but the talent 20. management topic is bigger than only... Yeah, let, okay, yeah. fin- let me finish this so, so I can go. The, the other thing that we see right now, in, and this is also in speaking with our contacts, is that actually AI is a service. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we believe that there is enough evidence that, you know, the really good data scientists, machine learning engineers and everybody else, they don't work for companies anymore. They're sold. Uh, no, there's no, no. Okay, okay, fine. But uh, okay, I'm, I'm, I, I do apologize. I will take that back. But there is a number of companies that are actually creating quite good consultancy companies yeah. that are actually capable of doing quite good jobs. Yeah. So why would you, as a company, uh, risk to develop something where there is a scarcity of talent, yeah. but there is something that you can deploy? This is also good for uh, auto ML or auto AI yes. type of things. So AI as a service, I mean, it's not is both for as a service and both as a product mm. and i truly believe in this and i think that this is something that we're going to see more and more in future so these are my top three mm. of course ai ethics is there but the ai ethics is not going to be solved until the gdpr is solved so so these are my three and if i do my top three like that i i think i already mentioned one but let me be more to the point with it i think we need to understand that whether we like it or not, we will end up in a couple of fundamental data and AI ecosystems, transport, uh, public sector, uh, life science, uh, or, or, or patient um, energy. And that fundamental data and AI uh, ecosystem drives that we, whether we like it or not, we need to understand distributed systems and we need to understand how to build machine learning models with closed data, as, as Anders put it. Because there's no, you know, if I take the energy ecosystem, you have several companies like Vattenfall who owns network and it's super secure data and it's even NSI data, national security information data. And at the same time, we want to optimize the grid for, you know, for, to balance uh, uh, volatility and, 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 and uh, uh, of, of our Volt, voltage balancing, blah, blah, blah. So here we need to then share data between E.ON and Vattenfall, who is fierce competitors, together with, with the uh, technical uh, transmission service operator, TSO Svenska Kraftnät. So energy ecosystem, you know, very similar to, to you know, data roaming in, in telco, right? Mm-hmm. So distributed platform thinking. And here I think then we are on a journey now to do this, you need to be in cloud. And to do this, you need to have a combination of edge computing and uh, edge analytics and, and, and IoT or how you connect and, and, and you need to think carefully where you do compute and stuff like this. So, but this, the, the, the fundamental, fundamental driving factor is distributed systems based on ecosystem thinking, whether you like it or not. 
Um, is this the same with federated? Uh, yeah, federated machine learning is one of the most important techniques. If if you think the world looks like that, mm -hmm. then federated machine learning, as an example, is how do I have privacy preserving AI, right? How do I do that? It becomes a, a key challenge. Okay, so that that is one key trend that I think we will better and better. It becomes more and more clear. Scania, in Scania, this is clear. In, in Vattenfall, this is clear. In Grunfos, this is clear. In Intelligent Water. Yeah. So this is one of my key trends. Um, the other key trend, which is sort of more on the technical side, but actually plays into the same game. Now we start using the words like data mesh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is a buzzword right now, but it really means how do I go uh, from ingesting data and building monolithic uh, central data uh, systems or uh, platforms to more micro distributed systems, how do I serve data between, if, if I have different data products, so it goes with the ecosystem thinking, I will have some uh, domain data within uh, Scania that needs to be served to other parts of Scania. If I go beyond, Scania has some data that needs to be served into the transport ecosystem. Mm. The data product thinking needs a mesh How do we data interact with each other? Mm -hmm. And I even think that's the way you solve the the public sector idea. You know how it's a, it's a distributed platform. That's the way you build it, and you, where you have central central uh, platform design patterns and then federated governance and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. So so this so now I said distributed uh, ecosystem. I used the word technology data mesh, and then the next key word I want to say the third one uh, is uh, federated governance. Okay. And federated governance mean how you have basically not only centralized and, you know, we have a, a centralized way of thinking and now everybody needs to do the same as me do. And I, I, I can dictate that, Tayloristic. Or the, the opposite is extreme anarchy, decentralization in silos, right? Yes. So this federated view. And if you, if you take that the whole way circle around, then, you know, community... <laughs> how we work on standards and stuff like that. That was like obvious that. this year, I think, that um, yeah. um, so that's the presentation my, that's, of... That's, that's where I yeah. think this is yeah. going. I, that is good, actually, collaboration. I will put this a full yeah, because... because, because using, the, the, yeah. it, if, you, if you are a participant in an ecosystem, how do you set the standards in that ecosystem? Mm. Or how do you basically... Yeah, I don't think you start with the governing bodies. You're going to start with peer-to-peers in communities yes. that do skunk work and I truly that leads in that. into standard standardization bodies. I think this is good. We're going to see more and more of this. I, I believe that it's, um, it's the ev awakening of the enterprises. Yeah. Let's call it like that. That is a t-shirt. Um, awakening of the... Uh, um, so you still owe us your three predictions for yeah, next year from technology point of view. NLP, something. Yeah, what do you think? Okay. See, transformers will rule the world. Is, is, is this the year of the Transformer? Yeah, attention is all you need. Is, attention uh, is all you need, T-shirt! That's, that's, that's Google has already said that. You know, that was a recent paper in 2007. But do they have a T-shirt? No. I, Uh, let's uh, let's let's. I think it's it's okay. Good from many uh, okay, points okay, of view. Okay, okay, okay. Now we have first principle T-shirt. Now we have uh, commit to deploy. Mm. Attention is all you need. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. That's a good T-shirt. Uh, just to come back a bit to what you said, Goran, as well about talents and the need for that, and, and I certainly, of course, agree. But but I think it can be expanded a bit. And, and for one, yeah, I think a company should have at least one or a few that are like super talents and truly understand mm. in a deep way what AI is. 
Truly. But what the company really needs, I would say, is a broad understanding of AI or the basics of AI. Yes. So the people in the management team, the people in different departments throughout Fully the agree. company yes. have an, an understanding of the, the extreme potential that do exist if you use data and AI properly. And I think that is something that's going to happen even more in 2021. So increasement of data literacy amongst uh, enter, uh, enterprise executives. Yeah, so an increase in AI potential of non-AI experts. That was a bit convoluted, no, but yeah. So yeah, I, I have I have a very good one about this. If if uh, if you are an executive and mm. uh, you want to start learning about this, there are two courses that mm. you should take. One is uh, Elements of AI. Yeah. I have personally taken it. It's only for I don't know. It's going to take you a couple of weeks, yeah. uh, and it gives you the basics of uh, AI, what it means. The yeah. second one is basically the leadership guide, um, leadership AI guide for. Yeah, right. AI guide for enterprises that Peltarion did with yes. a preface of Marcus Wallenberg in that, yes, which I still exactly. use as a quote. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, nice. I think that, that, is, know, that is a very nice book because it gives also no, quite a good to, use cases. Continue. But we use today the literacy topic to talk about you need to, to be literate in, in, in relevance in, in order for your role. So you need to be able to speak conversation about AI for a CEO mm. and then further down the stack, how, ma- how close to it, it, the expertise you are so t- uh, until you're the professor, right? You're the PhD. In, but everybody needs to know uh, data and AI and need to be educated. So, they, so then we have an adult learning trend, which is massive. Yeah. And then? Cool. Yeah. yeah continue. So, okay. So I think, you know, this will continue to increase the actual understanding in a broad sense. And, you know, all the work that AI Sweden and the Swedish AI agenda and so forth are doing is really yeah. making this happen. And um, I think will happen in 2021. Okay. So let's go a bit more techie then. Yeah. And uh, I think something that few people do understand is they don't really understand the the extreme progress that AI has made in just recent years. They still think AI or machine learning is what it was in the 80s or something. And that's certainly not the case. So, you know, something that is happening now a lot in, in recent years and will continue to happen is, you know, you can use AI to like structure unstructured data. Or what I mean with that is unstructured data is like text or videos or audio. And, and normally it's super hard to work with that. And that's really what the latest type of AI techniques enables. So you can even work with this kind of unstructured data and make awesome predictions. So text is, I think, is the best example. Just, you know, since the transformer came in 2017 uh, uh, and, and then, you know, with the birth in 2018, it has been an explosion of products. So, so transformer and technology really took off in eighteen. Or the way of thinking. Uh, yeah, started from 17 and then afterwards, yes. Um, it, it, we didn't use it before then, really. No, it didn't, didn't, it didn't exist. exist. So no. someone figured it out. Yeah, so Google published the paper. And I guess Google did use it partly, but just for research purposes before. But they didn't even put it in production in Google Translate, I think, until 2000. Yeah, so, so for, for, for 80% of the population not knowing what transformers are, it, it, you're, you're okay. But you, now you need to pay attention. Yes. <laughs> Attention is all you need. <laughs> no, but this has truly, you know, made it possible to understand text by the semantics, you know, the meaning. Instead of counting word frequencies, which is like a common way before, you can actually start to mean uh, what text means from a more semantical point of view. And, and this has really never been possible before. So just in recent years, it's been possible and it's available. And just what happened, for example, this year, it was a new model came, coming out called MT5. So it's a multilingual T5. And, and it's another type of transformer. It came like a month ago. And it enables you to use text for 100 languages at once with state-of-the-art performance. 
it, it's awesome. And what that model can do is not only this kind of normal text classification or question answering or text similarity, but also generate text like GPT-3. Mm. But this one, you know, is proper model that you can take. You can train it on your own data and make it work for your own use case and fine-tune it for your own task. You can't do that with GPT-3. So <laughs> stop thinking about GPT-3 or people that think you can use it. Start looking at T5 and MT5, but then we can have a Swedish example of something yeah. that can both, you know, use state-of-the-art performance for NLP, both when it comes to classification, regression, and also generational text, which, which is awesome. It's just, oh. Another key trend when it comes to tech is that a common complaint for especially deep learning is that you need so much data, they claim. But what we've seen with, in recent years is it's an extreme uh, focus with minimizing the need for annotated data. So that mm. means that you don't need to have like millions. You don't need to have 10,000. You don't even need to have a thousand, perhaps even examples for being able to predict something. You can have a very, very small amount of annotated data points and still work uh, and it works surprisingly well. So this kind of self-supervised learning doesn't really re require annotations and the whole field of unsupervised but learning. Unsupervised learning is actually, on, I mean, like if you ask call to me, he would say unsupervised learning is one of the key trends. Yeah, or ask Jan LeCun, you know, one of the mm. uh, yeah. found pioneers of deep learning and head of AI at Facebook. He basically says self-supervised learning yes. is That is the what actually Carl Thomas said, self-supervised. Uh, yeah, yeah. self-supervised, that's yeah. what I meant, sorry. So, so many things that happened there and something that, you know, we spend a lot of time with and I personally do as well uh, is uh, like active learning techniques, basically saying, how can you just make the system say, you need to annotate this one. Then if you just annotate the minimal amount you need, then basically any company can start using these techniques without having these super expensive ways of annotating data. Because uh, I, I think that's the problem, right? We yeah. have to prepare data so well before we get to this stage. Yes, but it's happening so much in research and this enables anyone, and especially in 2021, to start using, for example, NLP techniques without having a lot of annotated data. And, and this kind of multilingual models, for example, you can train it in English and use it in Swedish. It's like insane without having any Swedish annotated data at all. It's like amazing. So a lot of things have happened there. And, and perhaps just two final points, uh, not as technical, but I think, you know, when it comes to application of AIs, of AI, it's really, you know, when you can find examples when the human gets augmented with AI, yeah. where you find the best positive effects. Yeah, this is a trend. We, we, are, we are shifting from artificial intelligence to latching onto H&M's augmented intelligence. Yeah, I think called it amplifying, but Amplify. yeah, it, it does, yeah, it's the Whatever. same uh, kind Amplified, of, okay. Yeah, that's right, that's true. Anyway, um, if you take some examples, it can be radiologists, you know, they, they want to uh, segment or build a treatment plan for, for a can uh, cancer patient. You don't use AI for the whole thing. The only thing, you know, that you use AI for is to process the part of that process that requires a lot of data. So, so if you want to build a uh, treatment plan, you need to go through like hundreds of CAT scan images, for example. That's a process that is really hard for a human to do. Human can't go through a lot of data quickly and efficiently, but an AI system can do that. And it can do that better or equally well as a human expert. So let the AI do what it's good at, yes, processing yes. data. Yes. Let humans do what they are good at, which is the reasoning, the background knowledge that they have, which can put things in a context that an AI system is not even close to be able to do today. Yeah. So by combining the two, you can make, you know, uh, nurses do super complicated things and, and make all the processes in the health sector, for example, so much more efficient. But, but are you finished? Because yes. I, th I think 
this is something that I'm proud of with this pod. Mm-hmm. When we start demystifying these things, AI, instead of being something very fluffy up in the air where you can talk broad, broad stroke and, and, and not really do anything about, and you can talk about ethics and it's scary and you can't really do anything about, simply by, by combining these uh, different contexts, but then also talking with real experts, it, it, and you demystify, ah, that's, it's really all about this. We're, not, we're gonna augment or amplify the radiologist by simply looking hardcore in the really data-driven tasks that probably you are not so fond of doing anyway. Mm. And, and then I think everything starts to make a hell of a lot of sense. And truly, of course, you can find use case applications for AI in almost every single process when you have the right goggles on. Yeah, but I mean, I think this is this is quite profound. Yes, what we have, I'm proud that we have a. I feel we have accomplished to get that message across Mm. with examples, hammering it in. That it's not that hard if you if you do first principle and then laser focus on where the data problem is and fix that. Yeah. yeah. And um, I believe that, I mean, this is natural cause of progress. Yeah. Have you ever been to a bowling alley? I have. Okay. So before 50s, there was a guy who was sitting behind the poles, right? Uh, what what they're called? Uh, the pins. The pins. And every time we will knock it, there was this guy who was yes. actually setting them up. So yes, the automation took his job of putting that, a mundane work that he had basically a back pain for the rest of his life mm. and put him to, to welcome guests instead. Right. And right. this is the best way how to say it. This has always been about augmenting and amplifying. Yes. This is a progress. And it's a simply, and, simple and, and, way and to explain it. If you take that mindset, you will find your AI cases Everywhere. Everywhere. So exactly. move the, the pin guy from you know the backyard, so to speak, into the front end and, and exactly. talking to people. Or yeah. move nurses from sitting behind the computer and, and writing these kind of horrible like reports. Uh, ad, uh, yeah. reports all the time and actually having them speaking to patients we, we directly. Talk about right? exactly. the, the, we talk about the public sector yeah, yeah, we don't have enough. Cannot hear you. We talk about the public sector, we don't have enough people to do the real work. And then we hear how much people uh, our teachers are spending on, ed, ed, um, on administrative, administrative work. work or the work, police or whatnot. All it's the so police. Many, yeah. is, it goes on and on and on. My, d- I actually, I, w- I want my dad as a guest here, and he can tell you about this stuff. And he will, he will be the first. He doesn't know anything about AI, but he can tell you about the, all the administration exactly. you need to do as a head of. So department. we think. So we think about AI with these cool cases about impossible almost cases how they're going to revolutionize the business but why don't we start thinking about how we actually going to make our employees so and customers better experience while yes. working or country so let, let me start or with end this. with the last kind of trend then good let's do that and it's yeah. super boring and i actually was thinking should i really take this up but i think it's one of the core challenges that is hindering so many companies from actually using data and AI. And, and that's the legal challenge. Okay, that was the trend here. <laughs> so the trend is that people before in 2020 and, and backwards has been super afraid about using data and AI, even to the extent that they are you know, removing data just to be on the safe side, so to speak. Yes, there is a number of examples. Okay. Yes, and I don't want to name companies, but there are yes. many of them. I have seen, starting to see now, and even in healthcare sectors, because we're working with this big, big medical language data lab with Saul Grinskar, Gunn Halland, Foltan, Woden, and, and other, 
And, you know, they are starting to be less afraid about regulation and have the courage to actually start making use of data and starting to really figure out, you know, what is really possible to instead of being just, you know, take the safe side, they actually look into, is this possible or not? And can we use techniques like federated learning, for example, to come around and actually solve these problems? So I, this is more of a hope than a prediction, but I actually do think, uh, since I started to see the trend already now in 2020, I think this will be a big trend in 2021. Companies will start to make use and have courage to use data and AI. Uh, yes, I can prove the trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dig used this week, last week, published a new report. The, uh, it was yesterday. Yesterday, they, yesterday. they published a report on uh, experiments they have done in order to do trustworthy AI. And basically... It's not experiment. It's uh, actually a real uh, test. No, 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 what I mean is like... It's a good one. It's pilot I would use, but I, not the pilot. What they were trying to pilot was not only an AI process, but they're trying to build a framework and the model, how you keep the trust within the public sector, even if you have AI. So they basically have now published a report that highlights that one of the key strengths we have in the Ophentlia sector and public sector in Sweden, maybe compared to other nations, is quite a high trust. Mm -hmm. And we want to keep that trust. That is true. And that means when we now bring AI into the decision-making, there needs to be transparency. There needs to be things done. So what they have done now in a couple of different projects on on smaller scale, they have end-to-end put something in production, but also understood how do we document this? How do we how do we manage this in a way that is sustainable and trustworthy? And for me, this is the ultimate proof. What Anders is saying is that we are we, we first we were used paralyzed by fear to not make something wrong. And now, and then we, so it, then we, it's like almost drowning and you're getting back on the beach, standing up. And now basically with resolution, getting back into the water to go crawling again. But now I'm going to do it smartly and mm. I'm going to do some stuff and I'm going to do it in, in a good way. So simply that report being on the table now as a recommendation with the clear actions on how it actually goes from this is impossible to can we try it to here is a model how to do it, which is then the, more of that stuff will prove that this trend, we cannot live in fear, right? We need to figure it out and it's happening. I think that's the ultimate proof. That Perfect. That, I think it's a good uh, way to, to, to close uh, discussion for today. We have, uh, I think that we should end up, uh, we are right now 12 minutes away from three. So we will basically <laughs> end on three. Um, Three hours. Uh, I think this was a great summary because we started in this and uh, I believe that it's a hopeful, let's end up a hopeful year where we understand that what is happening is actually right now we understanding that we need to stand uh, and start swimming again. Yes. And uh, get, in, it, get in the pool. It looks messy and it looks heavy and it looks difficult and it looks helpless in some kind of way, but we will persevere and we will... Uh, take the next leap. And I think this is very important. And Europe and the enterprises has always been um, strong in accelerating when they know where to go. So the driving license is there. They know the path. The Maserati is already here. Let's move away. So now, uh, as the last part, as the last part, what is going on with your life and your life? (laughs) Today, we have Kirill with us as well, who is a technician. Um, um, So... 
Yeah. What is next? Start a bit, perhaps. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to, to um, these kind of research projects we're having. Uh, and, and these are like national uh, Vinova funded things uh, that we do in Batarium together with RISE and, and this kind of Medbird project, for example, with Region Halland, which is a very innovative region in Sweden, Västergötlands region, Sardgrenska, the public dental sector, and others. We are now coming into the final year of that project, and we're starting to see a lot of cool things like how you can use AI to predict if it should uh, prescribe antibiotics or not. Mm-hmm. And to start, start to see you know, what, what the ability truly are, and, and seeing that being deployed and you know, r- doing pilots, not only prototypes, is something I'm really much looking forward to in 2021. And the same with this other, like Svebert building up uh, language models together, you know, with Skatteverket, the tax authority, and Arbetsförmedlingen, uh, the employment agency, and so forth, which are really an innovative agencies. And it's so cool to see how um, there are some really good examples that even public sector have, even though there are a lot of, you know, not so good ones. There are a couple of really good ones, and uh, yeah, awesome to see what will happen there. We also have a number of other cool things like, um, yeah, like combining AI with circular economy. So this is uh, with the Matthias professor. Matthias, <laughs> Matthias needs to come here. Yeah, but uh, this is uh, an increasing trend that we're seeing. That uh, you know, as just as AI and data will you know transform industry in different ways, just as Corona has done it in different ways, circular economy and having a more sustainable way to build products and services is something that's becoming increasingly important. Mm-hmm. And I think just as you can combine AI and Corona uh, in a symbiosis to make both work in the same direction, you can also combine circular economy and AI to move to more sustainable development uh, of products and services. So this is something we're going to work uh, more with next year. And even to the point we're planning potentially to start up a new journal, AI journal, um, which is a spin-off from one of the Matthias, uh, the Professor Matthias journals, which is in cleaner journal production, but have something like a sustainable AI journal. What is a journal in this context? So journal is where you publish uh, research articles, mm. um, but a journal is, you know, uh, perhaps a bit more nice than conferences. Conferences, you know, you go to some place uh, normally when it's not Corona. And, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, no, I understand the point. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay. a new scientific journal where we can speak specifically about sustainable AI development, both sustainable in terms of environment, mm. but also sustainable in terms of economy. And also sustainable in terms of technology, I would argue. And thinking of sustainability in, in that kind of broad sense, I think is super exciting and will be could be a really good thing. Perfect. Another thing we're doing next year is yeah, I can end here, otherwise, yeah, I continue forever. What about, what <laughs> but, about you? What about me? Um, uh, any new songs you're gonna do on your karaoke uh, uh, stage? Are, are you going mm. for a new song next year? Okay. Uh, I can say I have not been going to Grönjägen uh, this year, which because is you know because of uh, understandable reasons. So next year, I certainly hope that we have vaccines and we can go without fear of any kind of virus and sing a lot more karaoke in Grönjägen. Yeah, that's Co- a, that, commit that's to, a commit that's to a deploy. metric. I will, <laughs> I will commit, commit to deploy. <laughs> okay, Hendrik. Well, seven minutes. I mean, like um, on a couple of different facets. Um, Airplane Alliance uh, was slowly initiated in 19, had an ambition to to take steps in 20. That was 
in some ways uh, slower than planned, but in some ways accelerated to go digital and to create sort of knowledge sharing platform and, and ideas. We initiated two chapters this year, a data science chapter and a, and a data and AI commercialization chapter. Uh, Q1, we are we are heading up, uh, starting a, a chapter of uh, a peer-to-peer chapter in um, data stewardship or data management. And uh, the, the real ambition here is we, we, have, we have been sort of trying to find the operating model or the business model around it. And I think in 2021, um, we, that's the next step to sort of stabilize what is really much an experiment and in beta and try to get the processes right. Uh, and, but it, it, it has had really good uh, feedback, but, but, but we, are, we, are, we, are need, we need to take it out of the mm. pioneering stage. I, I think you guys are too shy. I think that you should open your wings. And uh, there yeah, is a lot of companies that believe that we will be taking uh, part of that yeah, we, uh, we, journey. We, we did the soft launch and we, we haven't uh, done the marketing drum at all. And we haven't, and you know, but, but, but actually what I want to do with Airplane next year uh, is I think goes back to this fragmentation topic that was mentioned by Anders. We are there are so many different initiatives, both from different players, like you know trying to create communities or f- uh, Vinova uh, funded or AI Sweden. And I think we are to the point where we need to start collaborating yes. or pooling resources. So uh, you know I would like to take what I'm doing and put that in the context of maybe AI Sweden, maybe you know I, I, I really been. I've been flirting with John Bosch uh, a lot mm. <laughs> because I think there I think there's a huge convergence of what they are doing and I really like the stuff that the software center is doing and I don't I, you know why do we need to have 10 different uh, communities that's just bullshit mm. uh, so this is what I wish for from 2021 that that we find ways to actually pool the resources or I don't know this is one uh, for Daredex um we are we we are we are on the brink of taking a major step as a consortium, uh, and 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 taking a, a global step of that consortium. So basically, uh, basically working together several companies and following customers on a global scale, which is new for this year. Now we started it; it, we, it sort of has, has proven to work. And in the end, um, it's a little bit dis- you know working on disrupting the traditional procurement approach. Um, and uh, we 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 are hoping that we are doing something that will make an impact uh, with a couple of customers next year. That we then, when we have done that, it, once again, I, I rather bootstrap like Lars talks mm. about and, and show the value and, and then scale. Scale, good. Yeah, and and then for Scania, uh, interesting year. How we have worked in a very interesting project, and where we now have had some major. You know the plan how we're going to work around and work on in the on the next five years has been sort of approved on board level and 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 which is a really really ambitious first principle driven idea which makes my bumps goose up. <laughs> Again, uh, uh, awesome so stuff. so I'm really excited with uh, with with with, uh, with that journey in Scania. There, there, and I don't want to go into details, but we, we are we are really. We are this year, I think, uh, moving in my areas into the machinery style approach. As we are growing in a maturity is actually growing. I believe the opportunities will only rise. Yeah. So I'm truly um, 
inspired by that. Um, good. So um, that is it for uh, this season. Uh, I love one. how when we, when we get to do it ourselves, we break the record. Three hours. <laughs> yeah, because we need to have it. <laughs> But I, I think it was a, a fantastic uh, uh, learning journey, uh, especially for me. Um, I enjoyed every single second of that. I enjoyed every single moment in, in uh, getting this, uh, um, what is called, the guests okay. here and enjoying the process of it. And I believe that uh, after after work has become mm -hmm. like something that is truly um, mesmerizing in the terms of uh, knowledge yeah. sharing and, and uh, collaboration and, and yeah, joy. The, the after after um, work. For those of you that you don't, uh, uh, that you don't uh, know about this, so basically the idea behind the AI pod was actually to be like a punk uh, style of a podcast where We wanted to mimic something which was happening in the 80s and 90s when you had uh, um, uh, DJs in the radios having guests in one of the rooms. And then they basically call one of the guys like, hey, come, let's uh, talk about uh, ethics and etc." So we want to have a little bit noise. We want to have more people here joining us every Thursday because this is about a movement. This is not about podcast. It's about you. It's about us. It's about... Uh, journey and the uh, ambition that we have and you are part of it so yeah. if and you're we listening have, we have a dream. to this we have on, a dream to make this club into a bar i know i know no, I know I, that. not not this exactly <laughs> place but it's um the still the ambition no, but what, I mean the it, what i mean with that is that maybe once a month when the corona is over that we we, we do this as, an, as a true after work And we have guests yes. here, and and we all hang around, and yes. we can even and this is this is very open important, mic. and this is very important, and this is very truthful to our cause. And um, with this, basically, I want to thank every single one of the guests that uh, attended this year. Mm -hmm. To you, too, as a fantastic uh, host this year, it's been truly honor being amongst you giants. And thank you, and then, thank uh, you for making this amazing And then uh, I believe that uh, for all of you listening, we are right now back on 14th of January with the season two. We have already confirmed around new 10 uh, guests that are coming and uh, some of them you know, some of them you will be surprised. Uh, uh, we have some CEOs, some, uh, some founders, some um, experts in uh, AI ethics. Yeah, and I think the first one is really yes. exciting, you know, with the publication in Nature about, you know, how you can use AI for the sustainable development goals and things like that. Exactly. Nick, Nick Bostrom. And yeah. So, so cool we, stuff. We, uh, there are going to be some very good guests. And should, we, we should we name drop? Are we can name drop? No, it doesn't matter. I, I want to leave it to the, to, the, to the excitement a bit. We are also probably going to invest uh, in uh, some new um, features and etc. But in, uh, nevertheless, if you are with us and you're listening, uh, we are here with you. And if you have uh, something to say, you can always even call us because we can uh, bootstrap you into the... Uh, I think this is something that will I mean, be making you for it a next bit year. more interactive in some uh, way. If we uh, could have comments during the... We can actually some, have people calling nice. and actually having take conversations. Calls. Yes. Let's yeah. just take calls. Yes. Do you, do you all remember that uh, yes, the guy in psychology where you yes. call in and you get the therapeutic advice mm. on the call? Who's the next call? I don't know. No, but it, it is possible. So we have the equipment. Then um, I, I, um, or I perhaps think it, it can be a bit more digital, and they can yes, ask questions exactly. online. You know, no, but uh, the, uh, for for those of <laughs> that do not know, we have YouTube. Basically, yes, exactly. the, cha the channel is always open. But I look forward to more guests, more guests in person, yeah. uh, and to uh, much more beautiful moments 
in uh, 2021. Um, Perhaps one aim could be as well to try to bring some of the feeling of after after work into the after work. Yeah. Yes. And what does that nice. mean for me? For me, it but means then we need to take more. the censor out, the censor, <laughs> the censor out of the 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 the, the mouth because, and because start talking the, really about the elephants yeah. that exist. But, in but this punk room. rock also <laughs> means. Uh, politically incorrect yeah, uh, well, to to, be, to call out the pink elephants in the room but yeah it's tricky to do yeah, on camera maybe I, I don't know but it would be nice I believe we haven't been so our, pushy either I think. I believe it's a bit too nice perhaps yeah. uh, another goal should be uh, we should be less nice should, next year uh, uh, or not or? I, we need to frame it differently we should be nice but we should dare to go to the dangerous difficult questions hmm? dare to challenge a bit more perhaps. dare, dare to reach new frontiers. Data AI ready to reach new frontiers. Yep. Good. Yep. So with that, uh, thank you for much, uh, thank you so much for this year and um, mm. see you on 14th of Dare to challenge. Jan- January.